Oh golly, Mom and Dad and Crazy Uncle, I'm so glad you took me to this video game museum. Junior, you stay put and don't touch anything. Why would he touch anything? The kids these days hardwire games into their brains, so they just stand around flailing all the time. I just haven't known them really has this teacher. We never feel all the difference. Oh boy, here's the beginning of using two dimensions. Space Invaders, the first game we'll demonstrate, is the granddaddy of outer space shoot-'em-ups, a game of worldwide popularity whose coin-op version caused a yen shortage in Japan. I remember my grandmother talking about that. Ah, the cabinet's locked. I finished quarter I wanted to use. Stop messing with the machine. Here comes the security robot. Interaction with the apparatus is strictly forbidden. This equipment is denoted solely for educational endeavors. I just want to see what's next. Oh, there it is! Oh, yes, this. The time when Japan took over our TVs. I remember that from school. Better not ogle it too long. Robots really on guard today. Your behavior is entirely permissible. Renamed within acceptable guidelines for a memorable and pleasant stay. If Grandpa hadn't played that every day when I wanted to watch TV instead, I might want to play it anyway. Next, next, next! Oh, here's some people beating each other up! I think I recognize those characters from Street Fighter 7 Lightspeed Edition. I feel the need. The need to pound Dalzium into the ground. I gotta play even more if it's gonna... Gah, if it's gonna take my antique quarters. I wouldn't if I were you. Interference with the machinery is unacceptable. Desist immediately or be penalized. Oh, you're no fun, Mr. Security Robot. Ooh, what's that? Now that does look pretty fun, although it looks a little like the Final Fight exhibit we passed. It sure is a lot prettier than Final Fight, but I don't remember Final Fight moving in slow motion. Effective appreciation of this spectacle is made possible by consuming mass quantities in emulation of its characters. Participation in this activity is mandatory. Um, okay. I guess all these free brownies won't eat themselves. Oh, I can't eat anymore. And I don't think I've got any stronger. <laughs> I thought this regimen worked wonders for Marlon Brando and Orson Welles. On your swords, ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack.
here are the party leaders for this expedition, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 54, Two-Dimensional Thinking. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Vanillaware and its 2D prowess. To help me out with this, I've got my good friend and partner in arms, Mr. Mike Minky. Yeah, what he said. And Miss <laughs> that little laughter here back there is from the one, the only Miss uh, Becky Cunningham. Hi there. I'm doing the backtrack, eating spaghetti, and playing Atelier Tutori at the same time. Sweet. How's that game going? Is it cool? Um, T minus a half an hour before I turned on the Japanese voices instead of the English ones, but otherwise good. <laughs> Will they drive you up a wall? <laughs> well, we know it's Sam Marcello approved, even though she hasn't posted it yet. Mm-hmm. And the man who is the most popular person in my household, Mr. Michael Iapps. Oh, you did not just do that. You know, uh, we love our iPads. They are so awesome. And now we're just downloading all kinds of Michael apps. It's, it's just great. Do you know how, how much I hear that joke nowadays? Every single day you do, since, you know, the iPad's been, you know, and the iPhone are just becoming so yeah. popular. It's just, wow. Yeah. Just about. Just about. And last but not least, I'll give him, I'll give him the option. He can either announce himself... Or I can do it for him. Go ahead. Hey, <laughs> Mike, crack me up. It's Nathan. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Schlothen. Did I get it close? Um, the fact that you added the teenage tenor and it's supposed to be silent, kind of. Maybe. Oh, it's like a silent last name. It's Nathan. Beep. All right. The last name is a silent, just massive letters, kind of like the K and knife. I get it. I can. I can get that. I understand silent letters. Hey, I think I got a silent letter in my name somewhere. That's right, Philip. You don't pronounce. Wait a minute. Yeah, I don't know which letter we skip on that one. Stop having so much fun over there. Okay, okay, okay. We need to focus. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about we we're talking about Vanillaware games. Uh, we got Odin Sphere. We got Grim Grimoire. We got Muramasa, the Demon Blade. I mean, that just sounds awesome. We we don't even need to talk about the game itself. We'll just talk about the name all night. Well, Muramasa is one of those uh, Japanese swords of legend that has so many stories about it that you could probably talk about it all night and not run out of material. Sweet. And uh, do you have an import corner for us tonight, too, Mr. Miki? Oh, yes. I'm probably going to be letting slip references to it when we talk about Odin Sphere because it and Odin Sphere are very closely linked. Sweet. So while our audience is getting their, uh, getting their 2D ear sets properly positioned on each side of their cranium, we're going to treat them to a wonderful rendition from one of these fine games. We'll be right back after this.
Mr. Uh, Minky, shall we? Uh, is it? Are we going to start off with Odin's Sphere tonight? It's chronologically first, I believe. That <laughs> works for me. All right, Odin Sphere is developed, of course, by Vanillaware, published by our good friends at Atlas. Uh, this is a PlayStation 2 release uh, here in North America on May 22nd, 2007, a whopping uh, five days after our friends at Japan got it. This is a single-player action RPG experience rated T for terrible slowdowns. No, I'm just kidding. T for terrific. T for... Tigorific. No, Tigorific. Slowdown is only as important as the game makes it. And when I see my character moving at about one tenth of normal speed, I have to say it's uh, it's some definite problem. (laughs) No, no, it's not a problem, Mister Miki. It's a feature. is a problem, not a feature. But fortunately, I've only ever encountered that particular problem in one boss fight in the game. So that's why it's a feature. It happens during a hard-ass boss battle where it's actually welcome. I actually, I'm actually glad I get to, you know, get a few extra seconds to adjust, or a few extra minutes in some cases to adjust and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, I mean, for us old people, this game's right up our alley. Yeah, that's a problem. Young people need to learn patience. That's what this game does, Mr. Mickey. It's an educational opportunity to learn patience. In so more ways than so, one. <laughs> so it's because I don't have patience that I was never able to get past the third level of R-Type. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah probably. Uh, we can probably draw some parallels between this and Zelda. <laughs> Zelda 2. Well, uh, talking about 2D, doesn't this game just look nice? It's Absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous. Don't know to put it. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Well, normally we start to, before we get into the graphics, normally when we talk about these games, we like to start talking about the story. Now, I'm going to confess, I've played every single one of these games, some more so than others. Odin Sphere is one of those games I played about 75 or 80% of the way through. But one thing I'll say about these games right from the get go, guys, I, I, these stories, whatever they are, go way over my head. And I try to take them slow. I try to take them fast. I don't know if it's translation. I don't know if it's because the stories are just so wacky and out in left field. But I, 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 yeah, I like the characters in Odin's Fear, but getting the actual plots down in my head and stuff was a little confusing to me. So how about you, Mr. Minky? Are, are you familiar well, with these? Well, since it's fresh in my head, I can give it a go. Give it a go. Odin Sphere is an interesting ensemble effort. You play, uh, you start as Gwendolyn, the daughter of Odin, the demon lord, and she spends half of her story trying and not doing very well at becoming a person that her father would actually love and respect instead of just an object that he mostly ignores. And then in the second half of her story, she, whether it was because of a spell or not, has fallen for a man named Oswald and does what she can to help him in his uh, rather unhappy predicament of, you know, being stuck in the netherworld because he made a contract with the Queen of the Dead and she came to call for his soul. Um, uh, this is getting a little bit overcomplicated description of it, but... Can I just do the quick, short summary of what it is first? Yeah, the, see, that was the less than quick and less than short summary of Gwendolyn's plot. Uh, Cornelius is the guy who was the Prince of Titania and then he got turned into a puka, which looks like a three-foot-tall rabbit. Um, Mercedes is the queen of the fairy kingdom, or at least she became the queen after her mother died and she had to take over after a civil war of her cousin instigated to try and take over instead of her. Um, Oswald is the guy who made the contract with the queen of the underworld, even though it was unwitting at the time. And so he's constantly being pursued by agents of death. 
And then there's Velvet, who is apparently trying to seek to outfox an ancient prophecy that, pr that foresees her own death in the near future. And because I'm not very far into her story, I don't know how that goes. There, there's the quick and short version. <laughs> well, I guess the, my quick and short version is that Odin Sphere is basically kind of like Vel it's like kind of like Valkyrie Profile, kind of a somewhat imaginative retelling of the Norse story of Ragnarok, of just the end of the world, all in the final battles between kind of heroes and monsters, and basically all of the game is just a big lead up to that. Okay, since I haven't gotten to the final part, I am not in a position to say. Hmm. Well, not me. Me neither. <laughs> I guess I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't wrap my bunny yeah, brain well, around it. Yeah, the final part's actually the best part of the game. So play it, finish it. It's awesome. It, it's just. It was just. It was just. Um, I mean, you spend. I mean, you, you spend all that time going through each of the five characters, and each one was taking me. I don't know, six to eight hours each. Um, and so that's a long time to be stringing somebody along before it starts to come together and make sense. How no, it, if you ask me, it makes sense the whole way. I'm, I guess I'm not sure quite certain what you're not getting in the plots. I mean, it, it just for me, it just it, it was, it, you know, it just yeah left something to be desired as far as what was the overall, you know, what was the overall plot. I think Minky, I think you kind of wrapped up each character, you know, really well, nicely that's because you see the characters sometimes interact with each other between stories, but I guess the overall plot is not going to be revealed until the conclusion. Until then, you're just watching each character walk through their slice of it. And Yeah. I, mean, I happen to like it. I think the storytelling is quite good, and the cutscenes are not overly long, which is something I appreciate. Yeah, and I yeah. like the characters. I so there's you know there's devel there's a little development there, and they're they're likable. I think. Um, I I just I just was having a hard time figuring out what's the what is number you know what what how does this all tie together and what's the overall story you know that I'm trying yeah. to you know I'm seeing these individual struggles up close, but I, I'm not seeing you know what the what the overall tie-in is and i guess yeah you can wait till you get to the end it's just uh, i don't know if that's a little too long for i can i have a shorter attention span maybe i'm the one who needs patience <laughs> well the thing about own spheres that really is kind of the first five chapters which are all the main character specific chapters really are just all about the character growth and development of that character they're not really all that concerned with the overarching plot it's just little hints of what's really going on show up for here and there or throughout and then the finale just kind of unleashes everything all at once that's kind of basically how it goes mm-hmm now, we mentioned how gorgeous this game looks, but we also got to say, you're going to see a lot of the same terrain many, many times in this game. Essentially, you're playing each of these five characters first, and while they each do uh, uh, play a little bit uh, differently, one might be a melee attacker, another one uses a crossbow to attack from a distance, uh, and, and they each feel different, and I appreciated that. They, uh, but you are essentially starting off at level one with each character over and over again, and they do cross over into, uh, you know, they'll have some overlap into some of the different lands. So there is going to be this feeling when you're playing through it of, of some deja vu. The fact that the game is so gorgeous and beautiful helps make up for this, though. It's, it, and we're going to say, I'm going to say this time and again because this is a common theme in each one of these three games. Um, it's not unusual in these vanillaware games to have to do some backtracking. <laughs> but, it, it, but it is so bloody gorgeous, you almost don't mind. Dep yeah, it's just, depending on it's your just appetite. Gorgeous. Go ahead. 
Oh, it's, just, it's just a gorgeous game, but yeah, it's like you basically you need to go through every character needs to go through every of the one of the stages of the game. They've all got slightly different things, but there's a kind of a fair amount of repetition of fighting the same enemies over and over with each character. There's several bosses you have to fight with like three or four characters in the game, and so it's just there's a certain amount you're kind of going over with the familiar. Yes, but the same and the time, bosses don't change their tactics. Your no. characters are different, but you're still as long as you remember what that boss is going to do, it'll play out exactly the same so long as you know how to dodge its attacks. Or yeah, if you just... The, yeah, just for one of the reasons, that's kind of one of the, the very first chapter is actually the hardest in the game. For, well, for that and a few other reasons. We might get into a bit later. Yeah, because the first chapter is usually when you're lowest on resources and it's harder to go back and farm for more. And let's... Having just started Velvet's Tale, where she starts in the Netherworld, well, that's my fifth time through the Netherworld. And it looks exactly yeah. the same and the enemies are exactly the same. And there's Odette, Queen of the Netherworld, and gosh, I get to fight her for the fourth time. And she brings the screen to a crippling halt with her massive slowdown because she summons hordes of undead skulls and little tentacle worms that come out of the ground. And uh, I think those are the only things she summons, but she summons enough of them that the screen just comes to a almost dead halt every time she does yeah. it. That's the like the one place in the game I've ever experienced the, the really legendary slowdown of the game. Just fighting at death. And there's one boss. Actually, there are two boss encounters. They're both with a wizard. You fight them. You fight one of them with Mercedes and one of them with um, Oswald. And I hated both of these because the normal wizards you fight are annoying enough. These little jerks. They'll teleport the instant you hit them, so you have to run all over the screen and whack them multiple times instead of getting a nice combo in. But no. These bosses, you can't hurt them with a regular hit. You have to hit their swords back at them while their ugly little friends are trying to stomp you into the ground and get in your way with this. So, no, I did not like those fights. I did not like them at all. I did not like them on a hill. I did not like them with a dill. <laughs> Pickle. So tell us how you really feel, Mike. Don't hold back. Hmm. Well, how many more synonyms for... Unhappy, dislike, loathe, and uh, general depression should I use in connection with these fights? And that's, you know, and, and that, you know, I think that's something I've kind of uh, seen through at least the uh, first two uh, VanillaWare games I've played. Um, and it's a little bit different in third one. We'll talk about that when we get there. But there, there are definitely some difficulty spikes, um, and they're not necessarily just because you know some of them like you kind of are alluding to some of them are kind of difficult because they're cheap so yeah you, there's one or two places in Muramasa like that i think yeah i think other fights like that well remember the dragon belial yeah he's it, cute which really dragon is this this is the one that's been forced into being a servant of the wise men and he makes oh, yeah. drained out of the sky the one who kind of Coughs up giant waves of skulls from this, all the mon soldiers he's eaten to try to try crush you. That dragon. Yep, he's the one who doesn't fly. He just crawls around and oh, nothing's he's gone. gone. Keep talking. Yeah, but yeah, his difficulty really varies depending upon who you're fighting him as and at what point that person fights him. Because the bosses early on in most stories seemed easier to me, and then this really took effect with Oswald for me. Oswald's first few areas were pretty easy. I was able to go through them just going rapid-fire smackdown on everything I faced. And then the difficulty started to ramp up, and Oswald started to take severe damage. 
And by the end, I resorted to the cheap tactic of killing Onyx by using an ooze, which makes him just unable to move pretty much while it does minimal damage, and I get to pound him into the ground because his attacks were so powerful and came so fast that I didn't have enough healing agents to hope to survive. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Oswald's the character I consider the most breakable in the game. The guy who, if you do things just right, he's just hideously powerful, so I wouldn't say he was particularly bad, but... (laughs) Maybe I just need to play it more as a platformer and get into the memorization of patterns so that I try and dodge damage instead of just waiting in there and pounding until I need to heal. Yeah. yeah, and there's the what, there's the there's the potions too. Like yes, it, there's the potions. Yeah, it's it, what makes it a little difficult, uh, and where the difficulty spike can really throw people off is under you know, at the beginning of the game. If I remember correctly, it's been a few years, but you could get past you know X number of bosses or X number of characters or whatever have you without really delving uh, too much into the potion system. Then yeah, you'll get to this one boss all of a sudden who will just kick your tail, and then you got to go back and and that's where all of a sudden you realize, oh, I really do need to pay attention you know to this potion system and really squeeze it. And, you know, prepare some of the right potions and squeeze out some more XP. And, yeah, if you're... Okay, yeah, the thing about the game is that Odin Sphere is its item system. It's like the item mechanics, the item creation, the potion creation, the creating goods and cooking, that is basically the entire core of Odin Sphere. It's the far away the most important part of the game. And you're going to... Whether you like it or you're good at it, Odin Sphere is entirely based on how much you kind of get into the item system and like it or hate it. Well, that brings to mind the inventory limitations, which get irritating, because even with six bags total, you're still going to run out of room for stuff. And especially when you can't necessarily throw things away easily, because a lot of them are useful cooking ingredients, and a lot of them you're just holding on to until the time when you actually have a material to fuse with it and do some alchemy. That cramps your inventory, and it just dumps so much stuff on you sometimes that I have no choice but to throw things away or eat yeah. before I'm not ready. Well, the thing about that game is I actually like that about the game. It forces you to you go make kind of good strategic use of your inventory. You can't just hoard everything. You need to be kind of very careful. You have to be constantly using things, focusing on what you need and don't need, throw away junk, then to throw lots of just the best way to if you can't if you don't have a use for it, just throw it into an alchemy to raise its number into one of those. <laughs> What's the name of those alchemy files? I can't quite remember. I don't yeah. remember the name of the alchemy files, but yeah, I totally, uh, I totally agree with you. It is, and and it is something that I hear mixed uh, opinions on from my friends. But it is definitely something that you got to get into at the beginning, and you got to learn it, you got to love it, because it, at the end of the day, aside from the actual combat itself, it is the heart and soul of of Odin Sphere. You can't get through this game on just brute force alone. Yeah, it's like, and if you actually make good use of it, it has ridiculously powerful rewards for you, like the creating the potion that gives you an infinite amount of that gauge which lets you attack. If you give that to Oswald, suddenly you can charge up his shadow power and stay in his shadow form indefinitely, attacking like crazy, doing ridiculous amounts of damage. It just breaks him in half in terms of his ability to get to the game and stuff like that. There's all kinds of different advantages, healing potions, potions to boost this, potions you can throw on the ground create giant fireballs, mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. That, it's really deep and interesting. And it defer- oh, The fireballs. Do you remember trying to take on the, the slimes in Titania with Cornelius if you don't have any fireballs? Yeah, you'd mean you don't, unless you just have fireballs or something like oh, that. Oh, but I did. 
I hit them for one damage over 200 times until they finally died because I ran out of napalm. Yeah, that's... It took a long was... time. Yeah, I would yeah. have probably reloaded a save game before it got that far and made some napalms. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It, it, you know, at first there's this illusion that, uh, you know, that's kind of artificially, almost a little bit artificially kind of created by the game uh, that you're going to be able to get through on just, you know, maybe popping a little XP here and there, but uh, just getting through without mixing a whole lot. But, yeah, it hits you real fast and real hard if you if you don't get into the alchemy and start coming up with strategies, especially with the later characters for, you know, how you're going to uh, progress, you know, experience and potions and things like that. And then there's on top of that, there's cooking as well. And hey, it looks like Mr. Apps is ready to tell us how this game looks on an HD TV. This game does not need an HD update. This game looks just freaking amazing. Sound, yeah, it, it really is. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I, I don't even understand how a PS2 can be putting this out. And this this was the big thing that got me to buy the game to begin with. For I've said this since the PlayStation 1, but we rushed, we really dumped 2D way too fast and rushed into 3D too early. And, and we forget that games can look really, really good in 2D. And this uh, when this game came out, I saw the screenshots. I was like, holy cow, I've got to have that. And trust me, boys and girls, if you can go online and take a look at screenshots or, or look at some of the movies, that's all fine and dandy. But until you see it on your plasma or LCD television, it, it, it just doesn't do it justice. It's like watching some sort of watercolored airbrush painting in motion. It, it just absolutely gorgeous. I could just sit there and stare at the visuals. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly my 13-inch TV is not doing it justice. Oh. Uh, well, I don't care about what TV it is. It's just a gorgeous-looking game. I mean, you can even see all kinds of little details, like the characters breathing or their cold breath on an icy mountain. They put an incredible amount of detail into the animations, so they look more alive than any other 3D character in the PS2. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've only been playing for a few minutes and just... I would say I'm taken aback. Is the best way I could explain it. And, and, and you know, I'll be when we talk about the potion makings and, and everything like that. Um, it is time consuming when you're stopping, you're managing that inventory on a frequent basis. Uh, but you know, the, the fact that the graphics and the visuals were so beautiful, it, it didn't bother me as much. Um, just going into, you go into the restaurant sometimes and buy some of the, the meals for, uh, what do you get when you buy me, eat meals? You get uh, experience points and sometimes permanent yeah, stats, you, right? Yeah, you get experience that raises your hit point total. Yeah, hit points. So, Which is um, why you want to tote around all that food instead of eating it on the field because if you take it back to the restaurant, then you might get to eat uh, a cream stew or a cream cheese souffle or a mulberry tart or uh, something to do with lamb chops. <laughs> there are a lot of recipes, and if you eat them in the restaurant, they will give you a lot more HP experience than they will than just eating the raw ingredients out in the field will. Although you can't do it. More. it. It'll take a long time, but you could do it entirely in the field, and some characters, because they don't get access to the kitchen for a while, have no choice. Well, with yeah, usually, usually, yeah, usually when it comes to the raw ingredients, especially not access to the kitchen or whatever have you, it's more about combining those into the right potions 
and then combining those potions together so that they come out with the X potion or whatever have you with a nine, I think it was like X9 or 9X or whatever it is you want to create that absolutely gave you a bucket load of XP. So a lot of times I would just be working uh, those items to make the, you know, whether it's rounding out my potion collection uh, or creating some more experience potions. Uh, there was all kinds of use for those vegetables, but managing it all was definitely a little bit of a task. And um, my advice to anybody going and playing this game: do yourself a favor, find yourself a little cooking FAQ, and uh, and print that out and 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 embrace it because that will help you um, get a handle uh, on the game earlier on and get the most out of it. I don't think a guide's necessary, but yeah, you definitely need to enjoy the system. You need to actually get into it, look into it, pay attention to the little details of it. Okay. For me, it's my absolutely favorite item creation system, so I don't know. Just the, I like the system. I'd just like to know if anybody else encountered this when in the kitchen. Did, did you have incredibly long load times to get into either part of the kitchen? Not that I remember. I, I I remember the slowdown issues with the Spider Queen here and there, but um, and with one other, two other bosses. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't remember, remember any loading time issues. Yeah, I can't remember. Sorry, it's been a little while. Yeah. Okay. Well, I find that it takes a good thirty seconds or more to load whenever I go into the kitchen, and it, whenever you go into a new area, um, the enemies aren't immediately there. You have to run around for a little while before they appear. Mm. Did, that, did that happen to anybody else? Actually, that I think that's just happened to me right now, actually. Yeah, that's actually delivered games. They give you a minute before the enemies attack so you can throw down seeds for plants. Because you need to throw down the plants before the enemies show up so that when you kill them, the, the, the photosons mm. released by the enemies will feel the plants. If the enemies attack you immediately, it'd be much more hard and obnoxious to lay down the plants. Mm. So I think that's pretty delivered game design part. Okay, I can sort of see that, but it also bugs me in the volcano and mountain areas because you're losing your hit points all the time unless you chuck a potion up there. And if you're just running around losing hit points while no enemies are there to fight yet, it can get annoying. Drink your potions and you won't have that problem. <laughs> Be a good boy and drink your potions. Also, one other thing about the inventory, I just love the idea that these shopkeepers are willing to eat to buy. Mmm! This core of an apple, thanks, I'll sure buy that. Wow, a bone from a lamb chop. I'll eat, I'll buy that. Oh, thanks. come on, Why Vin. Why are you selling your bones? That's the best ingredients for alchemy. Yeah, that's true, it is. But but on top, oh, come on, me. Come on, Mike, in every RPG, the vendors buy the crummiest crap you have with no questions asked. It's been, it's happened since the earliest RPG out there, So so don't act like that's something new. But most RPGs don't have sheep growing from a bush that you can then attack to turn into lamb chops. Which later on you can sell them. Yeah, I mean, and I use the bones. But uh, yeah, you eat, you, you, you make them into lambs and eventually they become lamb meat. That's very good for you. And then, yeah, you get the bone left over. But I mean, come on. In Ultima, I, 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 I'm picking up stuff off the table like people use pins and turning around selling it to a vendor somewhere. Uh, I just that's, that's just RPG 101. I still just find it funny that the shopkeeper is willing to buy my used bone. Mmm, mm, tasty. Carrying around throughout the netherworld, so it's probably well because spirits. Be, because unlike you, he realizes the true value of a bone. <laughs> what did we it's, use bones for? Weren't they were they plus one on potions, right? Like it would increase like plus four, or plus something. four, or something really? like that. Yeah, you throw them in your potions because the whole the whole idea is that you got these potions that each are tied into a value, and integrating certain items into them, like the bones, would change that value. So 
yeah, if you're aiming for a particular type of potion, those those bones and stuff would come in handy. Um, you know, if you had like, gosh, and and I'm really fuzzy on the details, guys. It has been years, so please don't you know berate me if I'm wrong about the details. But if I'm making a, a potion that has a value of eight, uh, and that bone is a value of four, that makes it a twelve potion, and that twelve potion may be exactly what yeah. I was trying to get. Well, the thing about okay, the thing about the numbers, the basically, whenever you combine with this little. Mandragoras, little plants you pull out of the ground. Mm-hmm. With, you need to combine that with the material of an even number. Or, or, for every combination of mandragora and even numbers has a. The even first digit of the number has, creates a different potion recipe. Uh, but things like the first. Okay, there's the, the ones digit determines the, what the resulting potion is. The tens digit increases the amount of posons you get for creating the potion. Mm-hmm. And, you can basically add any junk item to a potion to basically any junk item to a potion in order to kind of add the add the number. But also, if you combine two potions together, right. you can to the materials together. You can their numbers are multiplied, gaining huge rewards. Huge rewards, and and that's you know, and and unlike you know some games where that item system you know might serve its. Uh, purpose of helping you to have a few more items in this game you're earning experience points and stuff while doing this apps wants to tell us about how shopkeepers actually work in this game because it's it's different (laughs) i just experienced this firsthand and was pretty annoyed so i I, I bought a bunch of items from a shopkeeper and after completing my purchase he proceeded to dump them all on the ground and i had to pick them all back up Awful you, don't, you don't like grabbing chocolate from off the ground? No, I certainly do not. It's probably another de- deliberate design decision, though, because the inventory space is so limited, and you might, and because you're constantly combining these different things together, you don't see it. You know, you you put, don't put it all together when you first start playing. But you're going to be combining a lot of different things, not only to free up inventory space, but also because combining certain things together brings tremendous benefits. So it won't uh-huh. be unusual where you'll walk into a shopkeeper with full inventory, and you'll just be looking, or maybe you have like one or two empty slots. But you're looking for a certain combination of things to put together. So you go ahead and you buy them and you pick it up, combine it, pick it up, combine it. You know, every time you combine something, you pick up the next thing and then you – you're going to have – let me tell you what. This game is about a lot of crap flying all over the place, landing on the ground. You picking up the right things and using it as you go along to get a maximum benefit out of it. So there's a – I will say that you will spend – you will spend at least half your time, maybe give or take, uh, in inventory management in this game, and and raising, you know, watching the, you know, doing the plant thing and the sheep thing, and you know, it's all about inventory and potion management, and 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 paying attention to that part and embracing that part will enable you to get so many benefits that when it to the when it comes to the combat part, without those benefits, later on the combat becomes extremely difficult or impossible. Uh, With it, it becomes a cakewalk, and you pat yourself on your back because you planned ahead <laughs> of time, and you're like, aha, see there? Those potions really did come in handy. So, Nathan, were, were uh, you at all uh, bothered by when the need when you're in the shops to have exactly the right kind of coin in order to buy uh, your food? Well, the thing about the coins is I actually kind of like the coin thing because it's actually related to the story in a way. I kind of find annoying that you have to hold off the... Like you need to spend all your silver. Make sure to not spend the valuable coins and the human merchants. Or you need to save all the the three kind of commemorative coin for the puka food vendors. Yeah. So as long as you've saved them in that way, it's not so bad. Just remember, only use the basic silver and gold coins for human merchants, and with that, you're pretty much good. 
Well, what bugged me about it is at the beginning of Velvet's Tale, I had access to the kitchen, but because I didn't have any of the right kinds of coins, just because I had all the right ingredients, I couldn't buy any food. Well, the coin's an ingredient. You can't overlook the coin. I know. <laughs> I'll say it again. <laughs> but Phil, I'll say it again. You can't, you can't look at the coin on the ground and go, oh, that's the kind of coin you need. You just have to go around and grab every uh, coin and hope that they're the right ones. I would just simply point out that it doesn't hurt for some people. Uh, to have an FAQ, just a little simple. I that's what I did at the beginning, and let me tell you what. Uh, yeah, I could have sat there and figured a lot of this stuff out for myself through trial and error. And if you're one of those people who really enjoys that in a in a game, you're gonna find a lot of trial and error. You're gonna have fun with here. But for Wait, those, there's, there's one thing I advocate a guide for, and that's make sure to look up what a troll molar is. All the yes, best I've seen troll molars the... listed as an ingredient, and I haven't found any. Okay, they're weird. I had no idea what one is, and only after I beat the game did I ever look at a guide to see what a troll molar was. Apparently, it's a rare drop off of the yetis in the snow field. That's the only oh, way to get a troll molar. Drop. So should I use the lucky potion in order to increase the odds of enemies dropping things? Probably. Okay. Um, Again, it's a yeti, not a troll. Why would yeah. yetis have troll molars? Yeah. And the other reason I advocate the FAQ is because I'm just too lazy to, to write notes. If you sit there and you write some notes on this stuff as you're going through, uh, you'll you'll be a little bit better off, especially when it comes to the potion making and how some of that works. Um, but I just I enjoyed having the FAQ there handy. It was just like that with Final Fantasy Tactics as well. Once I understood you know what was available and what I had to do to get there, then you know then I started planning what I wanted and and you know and how I was gonna you know what steps I was gonna take to get there overall. So you know, I don't think we ever uh, elaborated on exactly what you're doing in this game, which is essentially kind of a beat 'em up. You have a whole group yeah. of enemies, and they try to take you down, and you must beat the crap out of all of them if you want to advance. Because it's really a combination of those two elements. You can't you you do the potions, but um, and you're going to spend a lot of time with inventory management, maximizing your potions, cooking, and that sort of thing. But the whole idea behind all of this is to arm your character and to power up your character enough so that yeah, he can he can handle the fights and and it pretty much is a. Uh, a much like a, a beat 'em up and stuff. And what I thought was really cool is that each of the characters uh, did feel and handle differently. Yeah, they're all very different in this game, which are, it really helps a lot in the whole otherwise repetitiveness of it. Yeah, I'll give it that. Every character definitely feels distinct. For Gwendolyn, she has she has kind of a mid-range attack, but she has a glide air attack, which is very useful if you can get it to hit. Uh, Cornelius, yep. because he's short, that can be very helpful. He's he's a puka, so he's about three feet tall, and a lot of attacks will just sail right over him if you time it right. He's also and buzzed his, off death. Yes, his air attack is very useful. He just bounces over and over and over until he either runs out of power or gets hit out of it. And Mercedes is the only kind of ranged character, and instead of running out of power, and incidentally, if you try to play this like a standard beat em up and just run in there and wail on everybody until they're dead, then you might just run out of power, which will make you dizzy until you recharge power, and that means enemies will go to town on you. So yeah. you can't play it like a standard beat em up. Nope. The power system really changes the dynamics of it. But Mercedes has a ranged attack, although it doesn't go the whole screen. It does go a fair amount of distance, though, which is the best way because she, she has the lowest HP of anybody, I think, for a reason. She's a fairy. Well, for me, she ended up having the highest HP. That's because okay. she's actually abusable that way. Well, yeah, if you stick around at the Puka Kitchen long enough, then you can outweigh that. 
Yeah, the it. thing about Mercedes is that in her game you can actually get a free, a repeatable free potion which instantly grows every plant in an area, which adds up to a lot of eating, building up her HP at the hookah restaurant. I may have to look that up. Mostly because when I fought Odin with her, uh, his his gigantic mace took off half her life with each hit. Yeah, she's actually the highest level character at the end of the five chapters for me. I think Oswald is my highest level right now, but then again, that may not do for the final battles. Um, okay, then there's Oswald, who has the Shadow Knight mode, which, unless you use that unlimited POW potion, he's going to run out of POW almost immediately, so be very careful with it. Yep. And then there's Velvet, who I've just started with. She's pretty weak in close combat, but she has a couple of good ranged attacks, and she has her Tarzan move, where if you triple jump, then she'll swing across the screen using... Um, a hook that just appeared at the top of the screen somehow, just like Tarzan. Yep. It's really useful for getting away from bosses when you need to in a quick hurry. I can see that. The only problem with the... I couldn't try to get away from stupid Odette, Queen of the Netherworld, because she heals herself. You can't run away unless if you want to have any hope of taking her down quickly. Yeah, that's annoying. And that was the fifth time... the fourth time I'd fought her, so I knew her in and out. Anyway, um... Oh, yes, I, I also like what you can do with eggs in this game. You can hatch an egg, it will eat seeds, and then it will turn into a chicken, which will lay more eggs with every seed you feed it, and then you can kill the chicken to make chicken meat. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, it's a very, you know, deep, it's a deep system, um, especially, and I don't remember how much explanation the game or the instruction book did or didn't give you since I kind of used an FAQ that kind of laid out for me you know, if you plant this, this will happen, and da 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 and here's what you do with the chickens, da 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 and here's what you're going to do with this meat eventually, take it to the store, and da 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 And once you have that in front of you, or you figure it out, and you write it all down with notes, and you start putting all this together, you start seeing uh, all these great ways of just powering up your character, and it never gets to the, you know, never gets to the crazy levels that, let's say, a Duskea game gets, or anything like that. Uh, but there's definitely plenty of room there for farming, uh, and leveling up your character, and, and getting their st stats and stuff pretty high, not to mention, you know, you're pretty much in control of your destiny as far as creating a, an entourage of potions that will, uh, with, with powerful temporary benefits to help you out uh, in combat. And we should say that Atlas did a very good job with the localization. Yep. The voice acting in this is really good. Yeah, it's like this is the game which made me actually kind of grow and respect Liam O'Brien as a fantastic voice actor. He just does a great job with Ingway. I like I like Odette's voice actress. I think I mentioned that. I don't know who it is yet, but she sounds exactly like a villainess from a classic Disney movie. Um, I like Odin's voice actor. He's really good. And the main characters all have good voices, too. Actually, I can't think of anybody who has a bad voice offhand. No, well, I... I, I, I... Didn't have any problems with the audio. I was too busy looking at the visuals, anyways. Eye now, candy. Since I haven't gotten there, and Phil apparently didn't either, it is up to you to tell us about the concluding chapter of the game. Okay. Well, the final chapter of the game is kind of interesting because once after you beat all the five main stories, the final chapter appears, in which Basically, five gigantic big, big monsters all start rampaging across the world, and you get to pick which character fights which of these five monsters. Um, there's, I can't. Let me think here. The, I can't remember the order, but there's let's see here. There's the great three-headed demon dog of the underworld. There's the Cerberus? current. Well, 
it's not Cerberus. It's oh. the old king who's been revived, uh, turned into a monster, then re- was sentenced to death, and then emer- escaped from the underworld. Okay. Um, then there's, let's see here, then there's the Ingwe transformed into the great three-headed monster. Er, then, okay. there's, uh, then there's the great lord of the fi- uh, fire giants. And then there's the cauldron itself, Ophon Laishian's reign of destruction upon the world. And finally, there's the fully grown Leventhin as the final boss. And you can Leventhin, pick whichever you have fought multiple times already, but as a baby. So, yeah, um, as a baby. You he hits gross... hard, but his attacks are really easy to read, too. Yeah. When I mean, he's fully grown, he's a horrifyingly impressive monster. I'm surprised he lived that long after all the times I beat him up as a baby. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm surprised most of the bosses act like nothing happened, even though several characters are already beaten into a pulp earlier in the game. But I can, I guess I can accept that. <laughs> Mr. Apps, how's your experience yeah. going? I just got eaten by a dragon. That'll happen. Dragons yeah. hungry beasts. I'm playing on hard, though, which is probably not the smartest move. Probably not, but let me I'm know impressed. how it is. <laughs> I'm impressed that there's, like, no slowdown, though. It doesn't come in until, like, right. later. It's, yeah, the slowdown, it only happens during a, a couple of boss fights. Occasionally, I think I might remember it a tiny bit during uh, some of the regular battles when there was a lot of things on screen. But it, it really, you know, it, it is there. It is, it, you know, any reviewer would definitely mention it. But at the same time, uh, I don't believe it really it really detracts from the game all that much. And ironically enough, uh, the slowdown that I remember mostly during the boss fights that we were talking about earlier were actually <laughs> very helpful because, uh, you know, that was such a, a deadly boss, uh, at least for me at the time, uh, that I was happy to have a you know moment to kind of think through things and, uh, and to react a, a little bit, uh, you know, to what was going on. So, um, not you know, not that that should be there, but it was helpful for me, anyways. Um, so and and then once and of course it was irritating once I did get over the initial difficulty hump and I was on my way to beating and it was like, come on, die now, die now, die now, die now. <laughs> and yeah, she didn't want to die because uh, it was just going kind of slow. But you know, it, it happens once or twice here and there, and you get through it. And I, I wouldn't, I I would be even hesitant to dock a point off you know, off a final review score for that because it just, it doesn't, it doesn't really noticeably detract from the overall experience. It is worth mentioning, but. No, the slowdown doesn't affect it much for me. I just notice it every now and then, especially with uh, the areas that tend to have the five-star rating so that they're just swarming with enemies and then they tend to throw projectiles all through the air. When that happens, I see the slowdown and it's not particularly helpful for me, but it doesn't break the game either. You can get around it pretty easily. Yeah. Drink more potions and then you'll be able to beat him faster or something. While he's going slow, which means you defeated him in normal speed <laughs> or something. Or logic is something else. Yeah, there you go. Don't leave home without it. Um, so any final thoughts on Odin Sphere before we move on to another one of Vanillaware's awesome games? Yeah, well, there's one thing I wanted to say about the ending, actually, before I got interrupted by my chair breaking on me. Um no, see, like, well, the thing is, like, you get to choose whichever character fights whichever five bosses, but there's really only one order to do it, assigning one particular character to one particular boss. Otherwise, you get a bad, lame, end, really lame, bad ending. And the game kind of just flat tells you what that order is right before you have to do this challenge, which is, I don't know, kind of unfun. It's like, 
I don't know. The one thing I really wish about this game is they give you more different orders to fight the bosses, more alternative endings for the way you do it, or something like that. It's my one disappointment with the game. I can elaborate slightly on that concept, which is there are eight areas through the balance of the game. Since I haven't seen the end yet, I don't know how that'll play out, but eight areas, and each character goes through seven of them in, in their stories. So you're going to be seeing a lot of the same terrain over and over. I just would have liked either to have each character go through a couple fewer areas each time or to give a couple more. I don't, I don't know why Vanillaware couldn't make, I don't know, ten total areas. Wouldn't that have been awesome? <laughs> it would have. Maybe slow down the game even more, though. <laughs> or 12, 15, I don't know. If we're going to have each character go through seven areas total, let's vary the scenery. Instead yeah. of having to fight the same old uh, Valkyries of Odin and the same old elf or goblins in the forest mm-hmm. who poison me because their stupid daggers fall in my face after I've killed them. No, it's it's a very it's a very valid criticism. By the time you get uh, to the fourth or fifth character, uh, despite the fact that they they do bring a variety of game uh, game play models to the table or whatever you're, you're going to feel like each one's different enough but but because you are dealing with the same monsters and the same scenery and the same you know at the end of the day they might add one or two new potions that you'll have access to based on the vegetables that are available um, but for the most part the same potions and the same leveling up mechanics um, it does it does really feel like Groundhog Day in the manner of speaking so I mean it's it's fun on one hand because the visuals are so beautiful and uh, I do find the gameplay to be compelling um, but you're definitely going to, you know, it's going to be a, one of those bittersweet things with the emphasis being on sweet, but there will be a little deja vu. Are we there yet? Uh, kicking in from time to time. And I do have friends who play this and in all honesty, they share, uh, some of your sentiments, Mr. Minky, and, and they get frustrated with the inventory system and with the mixing system and, uh, you know, Vanillaware games, uh, especially Grim Grimoire and Odin Sphere is, is definitely, uh, aimed at a specific crowd. Um, and some people just uh, aren't going to get it, but uh, but no matter whether or not you do get too far into it, you gotta love those visuals. <laughs> it's almost worth buying it just to like throw it on, just turn it on sometimes, and just go, oh, pretty. Just <laughs> just go through the first character because that she doesn't require a lot of mixing. Just go through the first character, and and you've seen all the areas, you've seen most of the gorgeous graphics, you're good to go. <laughs> uh, if you don't like the gameplay. <laughs> I, I'm just oh well alright ready to move on gentlemen yep alright yeah probably <laughs> alright we're going to take a teeny tiny break and we'll be right back to talk about Grim Grimoire
Alrighty, so, Grim Grimoire, developed once again by VanillaWare, this one's published by Nippon Nietzsche, released here in North America on June 26, 2007. This one is more of an RTS, RPG sort of, okay, it's more RTS, a uh, single player game rated uh, E10 for everyone, for your PlayStation 2, single player game of course. And uh, let's see here. Um, is is am I talking about this one alone, or, or is somebody else talking about this with me? No, nope, I'm here. Oh, Becky's here. Hi, Becky. Yo, how you doing, Beck? I'm playing through Atelier Tutorial, but now I'm here because I'm talking about a game I've played. All right. Hey, have, are you? Are you? Are you? I know you and I go back a, a bit of ways with our with our PC uh, RPG love and whatnot. But uh, were you into real time strategy games at all? I am not generally a fan of real-time strategy games because I like to have more time to think in my strategy games. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, well, uh, you know, well, well, let's talk about Grim Grimoire. Um, and I asked you that question because Grim Grimoire has probably, there, there's been numerous attempts to get real-time strategy games on the consoles uh, before Grim Grimoire. Uh, Red Alert, uh, Command & Conquer uh, come to mind, for example. Uh, I'm sure there's a few others, Dune and stuff, uh, even back on the Sega Genesis uh, days. And most of them weren't terribly super successful. The console doesn't lend itself well to real-time strategy games because you're usually doing a lot of, of uh, selecting groups with your mouse, uh, selecting buildings, picking uh, upgrade options, and, and that sort of thing. It doesn't work super great with the controller. But the first thing you'll notice about playing uh, Grim Grimoire, aside from, once again, it's stunning visuals and whatnot, is that this is a real-time strategy done uh, game that is actually done very well for a console. But before we jump into those details, uh, Becky, would you like to talk about the plot of Grim Grimoire? Sure. Well, the plot of Grim Grimoire is kind of um, Harry Potter meets Groundhog Day. Uh, you're playing a uh, a girl named, and I have to look this up because I haven't done this Lilith Blonde. Uh, Lilith Blonde. All of the characters in Grim Grimoire are named after alcohol, um, which is kind of amusing. <laughs> um, now you have to say you have to say Lilith Blonde like you would say Harry Potter. Okay, it's Lilith Blonde. I'm sorry. Except for she's named after Lilith Blanc, which is a brand of French wine. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm sorry. Keep going. But but please, anyone French, I'm sorry. I don't actually speak French, so my accent is terrible. Um, but yes, yeah, so she, <laughs> so um, she uh, yes, um, Lilette. I'll just call her Lilette. Um, has uh, gone to a magic school, and she's a, sort of a Harry Potter esque magic school. In fact, the uh, the one. Um, exception to the alcohol naming rule in uh, the North American version is um, the head professor, the headmaster is named Gamaldor, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> everyone can guess who he was named after. Um, wait, wait, did you say this had a Harry Potter theme running through it? Possibly. Just, just, mm-hmm. just, just a potential possibility. And they, and half the students have cute animals as familiars, so you know. Um, so she goes to a magic school that's sort of Harry Potter-esque and meets her um, kind of, you know, eccentric classmates and her eccentric professors. And then not very long after that, everyone dies. Um, and she doesn't know why, but she keeps getting sent back in time to five days before everyone dies. And you spend the game um, going through different cycles of those five days as she 
gets better and better at magic as she goes along, which is good, and, and retains her knowledge because she remembers all of these days over and over again um, and slowly begins to alter the events that are happening until eventually she keeps everyone from dying. Um, I actually never got that far. Um, I did actually get to a point in the game at which I refused to use the uh, console controller anymore for the game because there were so many things to keep track of in the battles that I really just wanted a mouse. <laughs> and, and I just decided not to play anymore. My husband finished it, but he's not even in the room, so I can't ask him. Do you, do you know how, how things end? Is he asking? Oh, me? Oh, I'm, no. no, I'm asking you. I'm asking you. My husband's uh, not here, so I can't ask uh, him. <laughs> no, I, unfortunately, I kind of got, I kind of hit that a little bit of that brick wall myself. I've gotten up, I think, to the end of the fourth chapter or the beginning of the fifth, uh, or the fifth day, I should say, and uh, and the difficulty uh, does uh, go up really quickly. And it kind of reminds me of our discussion we were just having about um, Odin Sphere, uh, because um, you know early on in the game uh, you can use uh, power arm tactics, uh, standard RTS power arm tactics, uh, such as you know just build your more powerful units and things like that that you would normally use in a PC uh, RTS game to get past uh, some of the you know weaker opponents. Uh, but yeah, when you get towards this end of the game, it gets really serious, and you really got to get heavy into your strategies and your weaknesses and strengths of 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 your different uh types of troops that you can recruit and that's not really been my strength so far because it uh, the 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 exact what's strong against what doesn't always click in my head as it would in most real-time strategy games it's pretty easy to figure out that spearmen are great against mounted cavalry but in grim grimoire it's like the uh alchemist oh, ones are well it's, it's like what alchemist alchemist is is strong against what I don't remember. You see, I, I, I just it is. I haven't played it in years, but I I probably wrote it down on an index card and stuck it in front of me so I would remember. Yeah, it that's not. It's just like it's just like Odin Sphere, where if you got the notes in front of you, which I just printed out an FAQ, it really helps go a long way. But since, as I mentioned before, I'm not really a big note taker and stuff. With real time, any other real time strategy game, it's it's more intuitive that I don't feel like I have to take down notes because it's just normal stuff like you know, but. Anyways, it's not a it's not a knock against there's, the game. It's just a there's only four troop types. No, well, it's a little yeah. There's the four troop types, but it's the combination of what works really well against one. Each one's got special abilities that is also uh, that is also good in particular against particular enemies and situations as well. So it's a little bit more complex than uh, just uh, you know paper rock scissors. Uh, the I mean, like you have the 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 Grimilking cat, which has the sleep, which regardless of strength and weaknesses versus troop types is absolutely essential against boss type monsters because it just knocks them to sleep um so it, it, it's the combination of what you use against one like you said you kind of wish you had a mouse uh now grim uh, grimrart somewhat uh accommodates that fact with the fact that whenever you choose a troop or you press a i forget which button it is on the controller everything automatically pauses you can scan around you can collect your thoughts and then you can program in your choices so, and that was one of the things that was essential for uh, for role, uh, early real time strategy games. Um, that you could that was like a big innovation. I remember, I think it was Age of Empires or one of the games I played, where it's like, oh yes, you can pause and give orders. Yeah. yeah. So that really helps in Grim Grimoire. But yeah, you do get to a point where it kind of gets frustrating. You kind of wish you had a mouse, or uh, you were, yeah, it, it's really tough. One of, one of the other problems that I noticed actually that. RP Gamers review of Grim Grimmar mentioned this um, is that you would have these 
huge packs of monsters as the game went on that you would be summoning. Basically, the, 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 the way the combat system works is pretty simple. You have a rune on one end of the school, and your enemy has a rune sort of on the other end, and your goal is to get your critters um, to the other end and c- capture the enemy's rune before they capture yours. So you have to do both offense and defense. Um, it's not terribly complex, except for that there are quite a few creatures that you have to manage with different abilities and stuff. And when you start getting really big packs full of them, you can't always see who's who and who's dead and who's alive um, very easily on the screen. No, and what and and, and what you got to do is you got to use the analog controller. No, not the analog. The digital controller on the left side, pressing left and right, I believe, scrolls through all of the visible. Uh, characters on the screen, and then you press up to select a group of them. They they did really good with the with the control part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it's going to be somewhat encumbersome because it is a controller. But as far as making the best of a bad situation, uh, you know, it, once you get used to it, it, it kind of helps a little bit. But um, you definitely are going to have to master in order to get through those final chapters, and uh, you are going to have to master uh, the uh, you know using the ability at the right time, and not just using the ability but managing those abilities uh in the example of those uh grim what were they grim gulkin cats or whatever have you grim gulkins or something or rather um like that yeah um uh you would uh you if you had three cats and you accidentally selected all of them and told them to sleep the one dragon attacking your uh attacking your runes uh and then uh, what you would have exhausted all of their mana just to find out there's another dragon on the other side so you got to even be careful to make sure that you're okay I'm only going to use one sleep spell here and you know I'm going to lose one slow from the blobs or whatever uh and not use up all their mana and make sure they all don't die and da 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 because if those guys they're weak and they run out of mana easily and if either of those things happen you are extremely vulnerable to a dragon attack or uh <laughs> yeah or chimera attack or whatever this is a real-time strategy game in the true sense, and and it does ramp up nicely. And to give them credit too, and I, and I really just my ego hasn't let me do this yet. But before every battle, it does let you pick between easy, normal, and hard. So I don't know if when I got you know in that final chapter, if I've actually given easy a chance yet. Uh, my my ego would uh, had me playing everything on hard at the beginning, and then I think I went down to normal on on like the last chapter or so. Um, so I probably played on easy the whole time, but yes, yeah. <laughs> it still got to be a little too much for me. Mostly, I think it was just that I was not used to playing that kind of. I'm not the biggest RTS fan in the first place. Plus, not being used to playing that sort of thing with a controller, I was just kind of like, okay, I think I saw the end when my husband played it. I don't remember exactly if I did. <laughs> Looked it up on YouTube. I'm happy. I, I asked, <laughs> yeah, I asked him. He doesn't remember how it ends either. <laughs> look it, look it up on YouTube. Get to the final chapter. Look it up on YouTube and. Yeah, I'm probably going to give it another college try because um, I've got uh, – I was playing it, it – it it, I was playing it just a month or two – no, maybe it was three months ago. I visited my my mom in Tennessee, and she has a PlayStation 2 there. It was one of the games I chose to took with me, and I uh, I said, you know, I'm going to sit down and beat this thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> you get to like chapter three and four, and I was running out of vacation time really quickly, so I left it over there because I knew it was going to go back for Christmas, and – uh, figured oh, I'll give it another shot at Christmas. So see if I can get through that last chapter and stuff. Uh, what did you think? What did you think about you know you you meant, you did a great job of encapsulating uh, the plot. Uh, how did how did you feel about the storytelling method and how that was working out? You know, with revealing the story by going through uh, the same thing over and over again, Groundhog Day style. 
I thought it was pretty cool because um, you really did get a chance to sort of every cycle that you went through, you had a chance to make different decisions and you would slowly see what was going on, but it kept so slowly giving you more information and you never were quite sure who the bad guy was and what was going on. Um, of course, there were some obvious possible bad guys, like one of the professors whose name is Advocat, is a devil, who is a sorcery professor, sort of the uh, civ- um, sort of the Snape of this school. And he makes no bones about it. He's very oh, yeah. clear. He's very upfront about, hey, I'm a devil. You know, yep. what, what are you going to do? <laughs> hey, I'm allowed to listen to you. I love how he had the the whole contract thing going on with with Professor Grumblebore for whatever his name was. And yeah. yeah, that's allowed in the contract, sure. You know. <laughs> so they obviously had some agreements together that had to be honored and whatnot. I found that very, very interesting. I, I really did like the characters in that game. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would definitely you had the you had the you had uh, gosh I'm so terrible with names I can never remember the names uh, the Chimera Professor what was it do you remember him uh, Well I, I have the Wikipedia up so I can remember the names Yeah um, Chartreuse was the name There was a professor who had a lion's head um, and he was pretty cool um, he, he it was it was the result of a curse but he didn't really care He thought it was kind of cool that he was a lion <laughs> Yeah and and was very good about putting off advances that. What was her name? Opalia or uh, yeah. Opalia was making on him, and she wanted him to be in love with her, but he basically was not interested in her in that way, <laughs> and that that didn't make her happy. <laughs> nope. And while she's sitting there talking on the screen, you know, it's kind of like Cuskies from Disgaea, but they actually are kind of breathing and stuff while they're doing it. So it's a still shot, but it's kind of like she's got her hand on her big bosoms, and she's like breathing in and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just absolutely hilarious. Uh, just and then the evil little uh, roommate she had. Oh, I hated her. That little roommate oh, freak uh, she had. Margarita surprise. Margarita surprise. Yeah, she's a surprise. All right. Little pain in the rear end surprise. Now, <laughs> Becky, would yes. you say that this game looks about as as good or even better than Odin Sphere? I don't know because I've never seen Odin Sphere on a com- on my computer. The uh, Screen. Yeah, it, it does it look really good without having seen Odin's spirit. You know, it, it it really it's definitely got the same level of quality. The only thing that will take it down just a teeny tiny bit, and it's more it has to do with the nature of the game than anything else. Is uh, you spend most of the time either watching cutscenes or in the real-time strategy portion. You're not running around to different locales a whole lot. These battles are pretty much all taking place uh, inside the school or its basements or whatever have you. And they mostly have the same background, so that gets a little boring. It gets a little boring. The the creatures are fabulously animated, the ones that you summon up. uh, You can have a large number of them on the screen. I really didn't have any slowdown issues that come to mind like I did with Odin Sphere. So it, it is absolutely a gorgeous, but I'm going to knock it down a little bit uh, because just because of the nature of the game. And the cutscenes, the cutscenes are done really nice. There's a ton of detail in them, uh, but you're not really doing a lot of running around because you're just watching the, the cutscene going. So it is very, very, absolutely, totally gorgeous and, and you know, definitely a vanillaware game through and through. But uh, I think you still get a little bit of an ooh-ah factor when you're running through uh, Odin Sphere. Hmm, and I can't jive with your analysis, Becky. Yeah, no, I thought it was it was a lovely game, but yeah, the the background always being the same in the battles, and you can't really explore a whole lot. You pretty much go from scene to scene in between the battles. 
And I believe those scenes are... People happen to like that. People who don't want to have to explore and get lost. <laughs> it's fine. And, and they will be perfectly fine with this game. And and I, I didn't have a problem with not having to run around the castle. That's not a problem. It was just more that, you know, it, it didn't give as much vis- visual sort of diversity. Yeah. As a person who will get lost in any game that lets me get lost, I know that that always adds many hours to my playtime. <laughs> I, I think um, this game probably felt out of the, the out of the three. It felt kind of the least padded to me. I think uh, with Odin Sphere, you know, because you are doing these same characters and they are in recycled environments, you kind of get the deja vu, and you kind of feel like it's it, it could have been it could have been slimmed down a dozen hours or so, and it would have been uh, maybe even a better game for it. With Grim Grimoire, the battles are varied enough uh, for what's there, and the first dozen battles go by pretty quick, so you don't really get the same uh, feeling of of deja vu. And granted, I know I didn't get to the end myself, but. Um, it's not. It's not an incredibly long game. We yeah, it's not a renegade now, and and we didn't have a problem turning it back in pretty quickly, um, after about a play and three quarters of a playthrough. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and it's and you know, it's it's just as good of a game for it. I don't felt like, oh gosh, I felt so cheapened because the game was too short. No, no, no. It's it, it's one of those games that I felt respect respects the gamer's time, just like Carolyn on the PS3 that I was talking about a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, it gets to the point, gets you there, and you get through it. At least until you hit that final day. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other, any any other thought? Well, I guess a little bit more about the mechanics. Uh, we we talked about the real time uh, strategy portion. Just to go over that. Uh, as Becky indicated, you start off with uh, what's called a rune, which is essentially in real time strategy terms your first building, and from there you can usually recruit some workers. You harvest uh, magical power from the crystals. There's a few crystals on every board. Sometimes you got one close to you. Sometimes you got two. Uh, eventually, you want to push out and try to grab some more crystals. And just like with any of the good RTS games that are out there, at least from you know the mid 2000s and before, uh, resource management is, is important. And pushing out for those resources is critical for success. If you hide in your and own of little course, corner, they're all very well guarded by the other side. Oh also- yeah. Pumping out as many things out of their base as they can. Yeah, it, it really does a great job of capturing the essence of real-time strategy games uh, on the PC for that time and, and maybe earlier. After Grim Grimoire, after 2000, actually maybe even a little bit before Grim Grimoire, but I, around 2007-ish, real-time strategy games were really starting to change on the PC with a, uh, less, a less and less focus on resource management, at least until StarCraft II came out. Uh, which uh, is a whole other story, a whole other podcast. Actually, a whole different podcast altogether. Grim, uh, Grim Grimoire, you will be focusing on on protecting those resources. You will kind of go up a tech tree because uh, as you as you go through the game and you earn different various types of runes, you can summon those runes. Again, those are like buildings uh, in order to recruit even more powerful monsters, and you can research upgrades from a lot of those buildings. So you will be going back to them and upgrading your Chimera's hit points or his attack or your fairy's speed or maybe earn a you know an ability for the fairy to turn to a different type uh, that was another thing in the game becky because the troops uh troops could be either i for, i can't remember the exact terminology but they could be corporeal or incorporeal 
and that can make a difference in because because an incorporeal uh, monster cannot be harmed by most corporeal fo- uh, foes. Uh, so and some some of the you know so some of them have abilities to affect others. So that's something else you got to kind of consider in the great triangle of things. Uh, if the it, especially this it happened a lot with necromancy. They had a lot of characters that were incorporeal, uh, a lot of troop types or whatnot. Uh, let's see. You still with me, back? Oh, so, doesn't look like it. Apparently, something came up. Ah, so, um, oh yeah, I see a note there. Uh, so there's definitely, you know, for a console RTS experience, there is a lot of depth under the hood of Grim Grimoire. Uh, especially if you're using the easy settings, you get through the first four chapters on basic strategies and brute force. But by the time you get towards the end of the fourth uh, day, I should keep calling them chapters. Each day is divided into chapters, and there's five five days you got to get through. Uh, by by the time you get to that fourth fifth day, uh, you will be using strategy and abilities of your troops uh, very carefully because you can't afford to lose a whole lot of troops and still be able to win that particular board. Um, so the game also one thing I failed to mention is that when you do die or you do lose or you can reset a board whenever you want, it will give you a little hint. A little tip of the tip of the day. <laughs> Next time, try doing this. Or don't forget that chimeras are weak against that. So, uh, very, uh, very, a very good RTS game uh, for your PlayStation 2. I can't think of anything else. And on t- uh, that comes close as far as playability goes in, in real-time strategy games on the PS2. And just an absolutely gorgeous game to boot. Any any final thoughts uh, from you, Becky, on uh, Odin, uh, Odin Sphere? I mean, Grim Grimoire before we move on? Nope, that's about it. I mean, it's you know, it's a it's a relatively simple game. There's not a ton to say about it. So. All righty. Bottom line, go out and get it. All right. <laughs> Was that your wrestling announcer voice? Yes. And while I wrestle down this awesome game, we're gonna take a quick break and come back to talk about Muramasa. to talk about we're ready to move from the playstation 2 over to the nintendo wii so we can talk about muramasa the demon blade developed by VanillaWare, published oh by ignition entertainment this is uh, this was released on november 8th 2009 an action rpg experience for your wii this is rated t14 
Oh, wait. Ignition. We go from Atlas mm-hmm. to NISA mm-hmm. to Ignition. Ignition. They just can't <laughs> stick with a publisher. <laughs> and I still recall that we've had issues with certain Ignition localizations. Is this one of them? You know, I would love to comment on that, Mike. The the, the challenge for me, is, as our listeners can clearly tell, is I guess I'm so bad at understanding plots and stories that I can't – I'm really kind of um, – Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I'm not re- I'm not really great at telling whether it's just a poor localization or just my own numb scullery that keeps me from understanding what the hell is going on in some of these games. Yeah, oh. I would have to say if I took a shot in the dark and, and uh, I'm sh- hopefully there's somebody more uh, expertise than me to talk about this, but uh, I would say that the localization kind of sucks. <laughs> How about you, Mr. Apps? What's your opinion on that? Uh, yeah, the localization isn't that great. But I like—I actually like that they didn't do any localization of the voices. No, and that's awesome. I, I like the, the original. When you play Muramasa, you do get the original Japanese voice acting, which is awesome. I, I would hate to hear terrible American voice acting with terrible dialogue. At least here, I get really <laughs> great voice acting with terrible dialogue. Well, given the one game that Ignition did do voice acting for, we can assume that this would have not turned out well. Oh, I almost forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. You're welcome! Well, well, Michael, you're supposed to go, oh, this is why I'm glad they didn't do it to Muramasa. That's Uh... your supposed reaction. Instead of, but they did do it to a game, and oh, man, I don't want to remember. So, think... I I can't forget anymore. Um, I'm sorry for bringing you down, man, but it it had to be done. We're talking about ignition. We cannot sweep this stuff under the rug. Uh, It must be aired in the open so that no one will forget. (sighs) So... (laughs) I'm just wondering, since Nathan's played Breath of Fire 2, if he can comment on the quality of this localization versus that game's localization. Or did you play it, Michael? Uh, no, I didn't play much of Breath of Fire 2. I just hold that up as possibly the worst localization I've ever experienced. <laughs> anyway, since I haven't actually played the game, I can't talk about it much, so that's up to you. Do you uh, Mr. Apps, are, are you familiar with the, uh, with the plot of this title? No, surprisingly, I, I can't really talk in depth about the plot because I didn't really pay attention that much when I was playing it. Welcome to the team, my friend. It, it, <laughs> I don't know. There's a girl, and but you're not really playing the girl because a demon has possessed De- her body. possessed her. I got that no. much. That's right. Because she's following around in her spirit form most of the time. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. It's about something about – yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I can't – I'm not entirely sure that I was playing as like the good guy. That was never – like really clear. Yeah, so I started out playing uh, the girl uh, girl character. Um, I believe her name was Momo Hime or something like that. Um, and she, her body has been taken over by some sort of ancient warrior type of person who apparently is really good at fighting um, because she she's now going around and carving things up with her sword. Um, 
she's uh, she was possessed by the spirit of Jinkuro, uh, I believe is his name, and uh, forced to flee the castle uh, that she normally resides in, or he resi- – I don't remember. I, I just started heading westward. Uh, I'm not exactly sure it was about trying to get the correct body or something like that, and yeah, because of the localization and because – partly because of the localization, and it lost me, and at some point I just stopped caring so much about the story. I just want to beat more things up. So I just started kind of pressing the A button through the dial. I did read it. I really did. I really did give it the college try. It was just at some point it really started to to, to lose me there. It's okay. It's not that interesting. The second character is Kasuki. He's a he's a guy wearing these big baggy pants and he's got a bunch of skulls around his waist. Uh, he's got amnesia, very original, and <laughs> he doesn't he he doesn't remember uh, he doesn't remember why, but he's being hounded from some sort of crime. Uh, everyone's out to kill him, or at least a number of ninja crime syndicates or whatever out to to kill him. Uh, he has uh, he he wants to find a certain katana, and um, and uh, one of these people offers to help him along the way. Um, so, I I I don't I, I don't remember what happens after that because number one I haven't really gone through the entire game and number two the localization story just kind of lose me. Okay, you don't buy. Let's just put it this way: you don't buy Muramasa for the story. Okay, now moving on. The graphics, as always, just absolutely gorgeous. Game. This is a fighting game. We'll talk about mechanics actually. This is a fighting game. This is a side-scrolling shinobi type of game. Uh, beat 'em up. You'll be walking from side to side, screen to screen, kind of old school in the way that you'll hit the end of a screen and you'll, you know, it'll load up the next screen. And each screen's like two or three screens wide. I, I don't know if that quite makes sense. That probably could have been said better. But, um, but each scene is two to three screens wide. And when you move to the end of a scene, you'll load up another scene. There's a map at the top that you can zoom in on that shows you all the scenes as they are linked together in different directions you can go as you're going from point A to point B. The game does a really good job. You're going to be going through a lot of different areas, and the, the, the game does a really, really great job of – telling you where to go next in order to further the plot of the story. Of course, you're always welcome to go and backtrack and go back to some of the bosses or something you passed up earlier. There are some optional things uh, that you'll pass up along the way that you may want to go back uh, and fight those guys or pick up some items or whatnot. When you do get into a fight, the screen almost does an RPG type of breakaway thing. An exclamation comes up. Ninjas or frogs or whatever beast of the field will come out and attack you in that screen. And you'll be jumping around all over the place ninja style, pulling out these killer moves based on the three swords that you have equipped at the time. Uh, as you fight your swords and you use defensive and, uh, and special offensive ability techniques, your sword will, will kind of wear down. And if it wears down all the way, it will break. You can recharge your sword, even if it's broken, by sheathing it and pull out one of your other two swords, forcing you uh, to rotate through them on a, on a regular basis and manage that somewhat. So, um, on top of that, very similar to Odin's Fear, uh, you will be picking up uh, certain ingredients along the way as well as buying them from merchants. You're able to cook those and eat those for various temporary benefits as well as earning you uh, spirit power necessary to upgrade – or I shouldn't say upgrade, but get more swords through your forger. <gasps> Let me take a break. Hey, Nathan. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. 
<laughs> uh, we just started. We were just been talking. Uh, we just started talking. Uh, we, we we were wondering if maybe you could shine uh, for our audience a little bit more light on the overall uh, plot, including any spoilers necessary to do so uh, of Muramasa. Okay, Muramasa: The Demon Blade basically features two main characters. There's Momohime and there's Kisuke. Um, I guess basically the entire thing is that basically there are two people who kind of have suddenly been thrust upon the power of this mysterious sword style known as the Oboro style. Uh, Kisuke and the fact that the original creator of the Oboro style kind of as a ghost just kind of did some kind of weird soul fusion thing which he basically transferred all of his knowledge and power to Kisuke. Meanwhile, mm. Momo, he may have basically been possessed by the creator of the Oboro style's evil student who killed all the other Oboro style users. But then it's kind of turned into a go- killed and turned into a ghost himself. And basically, it's all about the adventures of these two as they kind of wander across Japan, being caught up in various battles because they have these supernatural sword powers. Uh, Mike, apps. Yeah. You're fired. He's good. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, I had to fire myself too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that was a lot more interesting than what uh, Apps and I babbled out. I may have to go back and edit ours out and just put yours there. <laughs> Nathan, I had one quick question. How yeah. when you when you compare Ignition's localization to certain other efforts, how does it fare? Dear God, the localization of Ramos is just terrible. It's just Phew, it's not just me. Dry. I, I brought up Breath like, of Fire Two. How would you compare it there? It's been a while since I played Breath of Fire Two. But you remember how bad it was, right? On occasion, yes. I mean, they named the main town Hometown. A little <laughs> bleh. Well, I, I just want to get people on the right level here, because if we're comparing it to something Capcom did circa 1995, that's not a good thing. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> I mean, there's not much good to say about the Mermos of the Demon Blade localization, sadly. <laughs> I feel like I just missed out on something great because of that localization. And wasn't this a game? Wasn't this a game that was uh, thought to be stolen from another localizer at the time? I'm, I don't remember the details, but I think people had that impression. Uh, I'm not sure if it was stolen per se. It's just that I think it was announced by what maybe Exceed or something. I can't remember. And then it was suddenly it's Ignitions, and I don't know. It just yeah, whatever it was, it was wasn't good for us. Exceed was working on the localization, and then I think um, Ignition outbid them with the uh, Japanese owner is what happened. Clearly, the money worked wonders. <laughs> Look where all the money from Ignition went. Clearly, they wasted all their money getting the rights, and they had nothing left for the localization. Thankfully, Muramasa is not a game that, uh, that rests solely on localization for its enjoyment. So yeah. the, 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 yeah, the, I mean, the story's there, but I, I honestly, you're going to spend a, a lot more time in this game, uh, with the battling and leveling and all that other fun stuff. This is an action RPG. They do have, uh, so you're talking about something that's kind of almost in, uh, uh, the vein of, I don't know what's another good action RPG, <laughs> like Diablo or something. It's just, uh, yeah, the story's there and, and it's, you know, whatever, but it's not really the highlight of the game. In this case, it's the actual gameplay itself. You're going to spend a lot of time fighting over and over and over again. It's almost got kind of a grindy feel to it, uh, depending on the at least the mode of play I was playing because it gives you two modes to pick from at the beginning. And I picked the what looked like the easier mode, uh, but at times I did have to stop in 
grind up a little bit so I'd run around in circles and let ninjas attack me uh, so that I could get my stats up so I could take on the, the next boss or, or whatever have you. You will also spend time collecting food just like Odin Sphere, uh, collecting some food and cooking some to get some of your stats up. Uh, and I was, I was about to touch on this, the forging system. So as you beat enemies, you collect their spirits, you suck them in, little green dots all over the place, just slurp them right in. And the, that is kind of used as, a, among other things, as a currency to buy new blades and there's this huge tree of blades you click uh, forge in the main menu and there's this it's like a talent tree in world of warcraft or something like that but it's huge there's 108 blades in all if i'm not mistaken and you start off at the very top with the basic one and you'll find key blades throughout the stories you beat bosses which will open up paths to stronger blades down below it uh, but there's definite, definitely different directions uh, you can go I really doubt that you get enough souls to buy all the blades or maybe even half the blades on just a playthrough uh, unless yeah, you grind a lot kind of need to you know, kind of need to grind to go through both game modes and go into the post games for both characters to get every sword and thus get the ultimate sword the Abora Muramasa um, I got a little uh, Nathan. Uh, I'm actually was trying. There's uh, there's there's two different types of swords at the very top of the tree, and, and so the the lady starts off with the one on the right. The dude starts off with the one on the left. So I'm presuming that as long as I'm using the same save file, do I have to alternate between them to get to the items that are in the middle that both their lines touch to? Yeah, you. Basically, need to beat care both. You need once you beat a character's game. I think you can then equip the other character's swords to that character. Eww. But in order to unlock those swords, you need to in order to unlock those swords with other character, you need to play through the other character's playthrough. So in order to get every sword, you need to beat both character their stories. In fact, you need to get in fact four of the six endings to get the final sword. Ah, so you, you you can't just play like one character halfway through and then play the other character halfway through. You really need to actually complete the game with one character before you can get to some of those swords in the middle. I well, yeah. That sounds about right because I was like, gosh, I I swear I got far enough down this tree with this other dude. Okay, now it kind of comes together. Okay, coolie coolie. I'll have to I'll have to to do that. Um, so. As you're going through these different areas, the the graphics are just absolutely oh my gosh, they're gorgeous. And since it's a uh, it's a Wii game, it does support widescreen. So now the gorgeousness of of uh, of a vanillaware game now fills up my entire uh, television, my my plasma TV. Oh, it's just it's gorgeous. And you just I, there are there's some back checking you have to do the game, especially after you beat a boss where you won't fight any enemies, but you'll run through about a dozen screens to get back to a point where you're into a new area. And you don't mind because it's just so gorgeous. There's so many different areas to run through. Jungles well, and tropics and frozen wastelands and plains and cities with lots of buildings and windows and just the backgrounds are always moving. It's like watching a cartoon just much prettier. Okay, okay. I think this part I need to actually disagree with you because, uh, unlike Odin Sphere, where I didn't really mind the backtracking, Muramasa's the game where I actually started minding the backtracking. It's kind of this people don't complain about it as much for this game, but I find it a bit more tedious just getting around in the game because there's it's a big world. You have to go through a lot, run across long roads to get anywhere. There's fight a lot of enemies to get through those roads, so. It can get a little tedious, especially in the post-game. We have to run the length of Japan several times to get to all the uh, optional areas and such. Well, you have to you have to fight a lot uh, to get up to the uh, uh, to get up to the appropriate levels for 
some of the bosses that you're fighting along the way. So I, I remember after beating a boss uh, in a particular area, it wasn't unusual for me to have to run, let's say, 6 to 12 uh, screens before I entered a brand new area. Or maybe I was going through an old area again, but I got out of that – what's the word I'm looking for? Country? Uh, province or whatever have you yeah, so province. those first six to 12 after beating a boss was kind of like uh, okay there's nothing much going on here next screen um, and that took maybe two minutes because i mean you're just running straight forward there's nothing slowing you down or stopping you and then it's non-stop fighting again especially and i was actually going there's that one thing you can eat i forget which one it is but there's one thing you can eat which increases your random encounter rate and there's one you can eat that lowers your random encounter rate. So that's kind of nice if you find you know the game's too one way or another. I was eating the one with more encounters because I don't like running back and forth between screens to grind up. So by make by increasing the encounter rate, every single screen I was going through I was being attacked. But I had to in order to get the necessary uh, levels, and it was taking me about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes for each level. Uh, on the average, so there was there was definitely some grindy grindy going on there. Uh, yeah, personally, I prefer to avoid fights simply because uh, I kept running into this problem that I'd try to run to the next major area of the game, but I'd die on the way because the characters are actually really fragile in this Muramasa. Characters can die quickly. It's kind of annoying. Well, that's why you have to so, level up so you have a crap load of hit points like I did. I didn't do that when I played on harder difficulties. So <laughs> oh, I, those are bad. Yeah, because the harder difficulty level, you really get your butt handed to you. Yeah, there's four difficulty modes. The first is really kind of easy. The second's not as easy. The third's... Well, okay, I think I was up to the third by the time I beat the game and completed the post-game. Uh-huh. So, but you can, you can work up to this. But the fourth is just something else. Isn't the fourth one that you only get like one hit point or something? No, it's, they don't change your hit points because you can change these difficulty modes on the fly. Mm. At any point in the game, you can switch difficulty mode, which I really appreciate because yeah. you just need to turn down the difficulty sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Especially some of these bosses and very much like Odin's uh, Fear, um, uh, some of these bosses are – yeah, they got some yeah, mechanics. Particularly the, the optional monster layers. Like some of them are fun, just kind of a new twist on an old boss or something, but mm-hmm. some of them like – Beat 100 monks. I mean, a oh, one yeah. monk is enough to ruin my day, but 100, that's just... But the game doesn't support that well. No, it throws in like 10 or so at a time, but that's an excellent example of what I was kind of talking about. So to do that monk one, because I remember that one very fresh in my mind, uh, first it had a recommend level of 9, and I was 7 at the time. So first I, I grind up, and then you got to make sh- I would eat the soup uh that would give you extra i think i got the extra attack or the extra soul power for my to keep repairing my swords even with those guys in my corner it was definitely a, a tough fight uh, the nice thing the nice thing about muramasa though and i'll put this out and mr Matt cunningham i hope you're listening to this because he'd appreciate this because one of his pet peeves is he hates to lose game he hates it when he dies and he felt like he wasted his time uh, I and and I don't remember Odin's Fear well enough. I know Grim Grimoire. If you lost the battle, you had to start all over, so you did feel like you wasted your time. But in Odin's Muramasa, Fear, if you die, then you get to try, you get to try the same area again, exactly as it was when you first came in. But so you lost your experience that you earned in that area. Yeah, if you just sucked a whole bunch of Fozons out of the boss, 
from several butterflies, and then you get killed, uh, you lose them all. Yeah, you lose them all. So Amuramasa, when you're going through the – so I, I did die the first couple of times to those 100 monks or whatever have you, and the frogs are even worse. Uh, uh, I did die a couple of times, but you get to keep your experience. And in fact, it re- if you had like X number of items before you went in and you used healing items while you were in that battle with those frogs, those get restored as well. They only are considered consumed if you beat that battle. So that is really – I don't know if that's the way it is on harder difficulty levels because I was playing probably the easiest or the next easiest. Yeah, I don't think they change that kind of thing for difficulty, so it would be the same. So you can – you know, even if even if you're not grind, ground up enough or whatever, leveled up enough, uh, and you go into the battle too early, you're, you're not wasting your time. And that was huge. Yeah, that's the problem is that the game has kind of a really fun combat system, lots of mobility, lots of cool things. But it does kind of just – break down when they throw as many opponents as the hundred battles do. It's simply because every time you attack an opponent and they block or something, there's a good chance your sword will break. If you're attacking a clustered group of enemies really tight together, so you're like hitting like four at once, it's basically just going to shatter your sword in no time flat. So unless you are willing to spend a lot of those stones to keep your swords repaired up, you're going to have some trouble. They're just going to run out of your three swords and you're going to have to fend them off with broken swords for a while and then you're probably going to die in the meantime. Just yeah. My one complaint about the game is it just doesn't work well with that many enemies at once. You can't, you can't defend a whole lot is, is the challenge there. Like when fighting the frogs, for example, anytime, in fact, you know, there's so much stuff being thrown at you that just swing. So in Muramasa, what, what Nathan's explaining is in Muramasa, you can block with your sword. And in fact, to block with your sword, all you do is, is hold down the exact same button you attack with. But instead of tapping it, you just hold it down and bam, you're blocking. Anytime you're swinging your sword, uh, you're considered to be blocking. Or if there's a projectile coming towards you, you can usually knock it back towards Towards the uh, towards the bad guy, depending on what he's projecting at you. So when you have multiple enemies doing this at the same time, even if you're just trying to attack them, if you're attacking them at the same time they're attacking you, uh, the game will consider you to be defending with your sword. And defending with your sword takes instead of taking your hit points, it really wears down the sword quite quickly. So your sword will break almost in an instant when you're being assaulted by multiple bad guys at the same time. With the frogs, the only way I, I finally figured out how to get past those guys was just going totally on the offensive but but in doing it in a way where my sword wasn't hitting their their attacks and to do that I attack low uh, so I kept attacking low attack low attack low attack low once I figured that out the 100 frogs became 200 frog legs uh, that was, and I'm not saying that that strategy is going to hold up for everything but that worked really good there between that and leveling up uh, you do have to grind in that game. If it says recommended level 9 for those frogs or whatever it is, make sure that you're 9 if at all possible. And make sure you've got the strongest blades going in. Make sure you've got your healing items stored up. And and make sure you eat some soup or something. Because you can cook food before a battle to give yourself a temporary boost to attack and stuff. Just like Odin's Fear, it pays to go into those things prepared. Yeah, the thing about this the difference between this game and Odin's Fear, though, is that I really vastly prefer Odin's Fear's item system. I'm not sure exactly what's all the reason, but I just don't like Muramasa the Demon Blade's item system. It's just, I don't know, the really limited item quantities, the limited places where you can stockpile these essential items, the lack of money sometimes, uh, the fact that you're either getting way too much of an item and can't carry it, or way too little and running out. It just it doesn't flow very well for me. It was a constant source of frustration for me. Well, with, with, with Odin's Fear... 
a lot of the useless items or the less useful items, uh, especially when you're running out of inventory space, that meant it was just time to combine them into something else. A lot of times, even more useless items were somewhat useful once combined with other items to make, like potions and stuff. Um, here, if your inventory, you 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 know, if you got too many johnny apple seeds or whatever have you there's there's very little purpose to consuming some of those items early um i know and granted i didn't get super far in the game but i know i had uh one of the things you get from eating usually is spirit i had way more spirit than i was ever spending at the forge so there seemed to be little incentive to continue eating and eating and eating so why am i getting these items yeah. for when i'm not getting any ben permanent benefit whereas with odin's sphere Give me all the items I can hold of because eventually I'm going to be able to mutilate those into things that generate experience points or some sort of meats for my stats. And, and yeah, it seemed to Miramasa it was a little too simplified. Maybe they were trying to appeal to a wider audience or something. Uh, yeah, it just, it just doesn't seem to be as well refined or balanced or interesting in any respect whatsoever. Ended up. I mean, it's not really as essential to the game, but it's just the same kind of thing where the healing items just feel like they don't heal enough. And stuff like that. Yeah, you had uh, the. I think uh, I got to, uh, and I only got to like I got through. I want to say about half of one of their stories because I, I've unlocked half of the uh, major swords, uh, the barrier colored swords that take down the barriers. That's pretty fair. Yeah, and I was just finally unlocking some decent healing items, like the six hundred and the one thousand hit point. Uh, dealies but then it's a matter of yeah do you actually have the ingredients on hand at that point it's not like odin sphere where lesser ingredients can be formed together for bigger benefits you don't have any of the bigger ingredients you don't get any of the bigger benefits and yeah i ran into the money issue too you had to grind i had to grind because it's just yeah either if i was always running out of money or other stuff that i needed if i didn't and that's kind of unfortunate because uh, it felt like it felt like that game could have been just as enjoyable without the unnecessary fluff of grinding, you know, in between. It, it, they could yeah. have they could have increased the experience and gold gain from just defeating things along the way and saved the grinding for maybe those people who really want to beat the super secret optional boss or reveal the super ending yeah. and just let the rest of us play through normally without having to run back and forth, back and forth a whole bunch. I can, yeah. I can definitely see how that could get on people's nerves. Yeah, the thing is, it's just that there's just, I don't know, they, I don't even care much the point of the experience grinding, but there's a lot of, I guess, excessive need to fight enemies for money and items and stuff like that. And a little bit, it's not quite perfectly polished of a game in that regard. Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of a common theme with Vanillaware games altogether. Whether it was the slowdown and and some of the unbalanced bosses in Odin Sphere, or um, or or some of the problems we were discussing earlier with Grim Grimoire, or this here, it it always feels like these Vanillaware games could just use a a bit more polish. That some of the the lack of polish just separates them from greatness. As it is, they're really good games, but. Oh yeah, there's no doubt they're really good games, but yeah, there's yeah. a slight lack of polish. Just a slack, just just a little bit more spit. What mm, else? So how many bleeds did you unlock? I got all of them. Oh, you what? Serious? What? Yeah, I got all of them. I got in order to get the best ending in the game, you need to get the best sword, the Aporamaramasa. Wait, 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 wait! You were just complaining about how you had to go back and forth and grind for stuff. How in the heck did you had to? And I did it, and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you don't like the grinding, but it was fun. 
Okay, no, it's like I like playing the game. I'm not complaining about grinding off. It's just uh, I, I, I know what you're saying. I'm messing with you. No, I I, I know what you're saying. It, it, no, no, and you're right. It, yeah, no, I, I, it's it's that fine balance. It's that fine balance. It's that lack of polish that could have. Um, no, no, it's fun to play. The gameplay itself is kind of fun, but like you said, the swords in that whole blocking wears down your sword system really quickly. Uh, that definitely can have a better implemented in the fact that the gold and, and the items feel, uh, 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 too simplified and unbe- and, and you're getting, you know, not really a good mix of the items you need to, to create the stuff that you really need. Uh, yeah, it's just a lack of polish, but overall it's still a very, very fun game. Yeah. Oh, my, my only... Like the one only true complaint I really wish about the game is that I really regret that Kisuke and Momohime play exactly the same. There's no difference between them. Like there's between the five characters and right. There's an own sphere, and like that is what really makes the game feel even more repetitive than it should be. Because there's no difference between the two stories in terms of actually how you fight, how you do different things. It's just uh, it's more about like what swords you get and stuff, which isn't as big of a deal. Yeah, in case the grinding wasn't, uh, in case the grinding just isn't fun of you, isn't fun enough for you going through the game with one character. You get to do it with two, and then if you want the better endings or the you know the really cool killer swords, you got to do it a few times. Yeah, but it's but it's uh, it's okay because it's a fun nice game. And yeah, and unlike Own Sphere, they actually fight completely different bosses in their main stories and such. So there doesn't you're at least not fighting the same boss five times. This is true. Big plus. We haven't let we haven't we haven't let Mister Apps uh, say anything in a while. <laughs> did you, did you have something you wanted to add there? I heard you trying to jump in, Mike. No, not really. I mean, the, the my big only huge complaint would definitely be the inventory, which I think is kind of a mess. And you know, sometimes the item name, uh, the food and item names aren't descriptive enough, so you don't really know what you're buying, how how much healing you're going to get. So that 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 whole part was kind of a mess. Which is kind of a shame since the combat is so great. You know, it sounds like you might be describing a localization issue. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if it's necessarily that. Like, you know, you go to a vendor and I think you can buy food items and it doesn't really say there. I don't, I, I'm, maybe I might be remembering wrong, but I don't think it tells you how much they heal. So that it could just be a bad game design. I, you know, I, I don't remember because I mean, when I was buying stuff from, if I'm buying, you you're talking about the the from the restaurants or from the guys walking by selling stuff? Both of them. Because at the restaurants, I was mostly doing it for the for the spirit benefit. Because um, if I if I wanted to heal, it was usually cheaper just to find a hot springs or. Or to eat a rice cake or something along those lines. <laughs> uh, the food, the food that they cooked was a little bit more expensive. When I was, when I was looking at the food, it was like the, the the hit point benefit wasn't really that great for the price, but it would give you like three thousand experience or experience. I mean, spirit or six thousand spirit or twelve thousand spirit. I never ran out of spirit. Did, how about how about how about uh, you, Nathan? Did you? Is there a point to having eight times as much spirit as I do souls? Um, the thing about spirit is that. Well, no. It's like spirits of things. Like it like, might matter a little bit in the early game, but by the late game, you have way too much of all the different spirits and such. That you don't need all that much. Because the only time you use spirit is for forging, right? I honestly don't remember what you need for forging other than the forging tree. So I'll you need because you need follow your memory of this. You need point. yeah because you need 
Uh, you need souls. Uh, those are the little green blobs you find all over the place, and they spit out of enemies when you kill them. And then spirit, which you only get from eating. And every time I go to c create a sword, it would cost X soul and X spirit. And those numbers were almost within 10 to 20% of each other. It wasn't like there was a sword that cost only 20 souls and 8,000 spirit. Uh, they were pretty, be like 500 souls and 450 spirit or something along those lines. But as it, you know, like I said, kind of went through halfway through one of their stories and I had, I was always, I was always short on souls, which means the only way I'm going to get souls up, since souls are basically ex expendable experience points, um, uh, I, the only way I'm going to get more of them is to go and beat the crap out of stuff over and over and over again. Um, but the souls you get from eating, and it's just, yeah, I'd sit there, I'd, I'd always run out of, well, I'm getting my terminology mixed up, aren't I? I'm always running out of souls that you get from killing monsters, but I never ran out of spirit which you get from eating stuff, which... Yeah, that yeah, matches that's my memory pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, just a little bit of a, just a little bit of a balancing issue there. They could have done, they could have done a lot more with that. Yeah, give me some extra hit points or something with all that spirit. I got so much spirit, I should shouldn't die so fast. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot of spirit. Um, a lot of uh, there's some minor platforming in this because you in some of the boards you are jumping from place to place to place. I don't think you ever really need it to survive, or it's not like you know Super Mario. Yeah, there's or a couple places where you can do some unusual jumps to into slight hidden areas. Mm -hmm. Those are very rare, and there's just a couple. There's a lot of Jumping matters to be for fighting in terms of where you are relative to your opponents, mm -hmm. uh, but that's about it. It's not really a platformer in terms of gain from point A to point B. Oh, speaking of small negatives, uh, when you were, um, you know, not only I think you you have a good point there about the blocking system and how that can really be detrimental, um, but also I had a problem with the controlling. So I'm using the nunchucks. So maybe that's my mistake. But on my left side, I, on my left hand, I got that little thumb controller, which is what you use to move and jump around. So pressing up jumps. Uh, and if you're doing that while you're holding down the attack button, you'll do a, a jumping attack or whatever have you. But I'd always be trying to like jump up, and instead I would go diagonal. Or I'd be trying to jump diagonal, and instead I'd go up. It just it, – it's kind of – just the execution just – uh, for a ninja that you know where precision control is important, I didn't feel like I was getting precise control, and I don't know if that's a fault of the game design or the Wii nunchuck or. Did... Uh, I can't remember myself if I had that kind of issue. It's been a while. Sorry. Yeah. What about what about you, Mr. Apps? You were playing with the Wii nunchuck. Hey, cool. It's an What's awesome the... controller. Yeah. <laughs> What's the uh, other it... option there? <laughs> I believe I only played this with the classic controller. And I had, and that worked good for me. I'll try. I'll try that. I'll try that sometime. So I got the I got the classic controller hookup somewhere. Just got to pull it out of one of my storage bins somewhere. Cool. Uh, but overall, a, a pretty fun game, especially if you like uh, if you like beat 'em ups and you like beat 'em ups that kind of like uh, the old Double Dragons where you got experience points and you uh, and you would level up with those experience points. The different blades. Oh, we almost forgot to talk about that, but the the different blades are really cool. So you start off with with three blades as you go through the game. Uh, as I mentioned before, you'll spend those souls and spirits to uh, have your forger uh, forge your new blades. Maramasa himself. Maramasa. Yeah, there you go. And. But what was really neat, what I found 
very, very fun was the fact that each one of those blades would tend to have different powers. Though some of them repeated themselves or they were just upgraded versions of older ones. So one of them, when you activate their special power, you'll twirl around like a whirlwind or you'll throw out tornadoes or you'll have these uh, rotating uh, globs around you that do damage to enemies. There's different swords with different uh, effects. And they, uh, on top of that, some of the swords confer special bonuses. You also get to equip one item, which can also confer a special bonus. So by planning that out a little bit sometimes, uh, you could give yourself a little bit of advantage. It wasn't nearly as uh, it wasn't nearly as important as let's say having the right potions uh, before a big boss battle in Odin Sphere. Uh, but it was pretty cool playing with the different blades, and occasionally one or two of them would be better suited for a boss, even though they may not be the highest power blades in your in your pack. It's also worth noting that the special move of the ultimate sword art is actually really spectacular to watch. Cool. Now, now you make me want to go through and get the sword. Evil man. Alright, any other final thoughts on Muramasa? Uh, I liked its different endings. Some more than others, but it's nice <laughs> if you had the kind of different endings to the different characters. Cool. Mr. Apps, your thoughts? It's really, really pretty. <laughs> and I agree. Uh, overall, all three of these games are, are absolutely gorgeous games. They Each one uh, caters to different tastes. Um, they, as we mentioned before, none of them are quite 100% polished, but despite their imperfections, uh, you absolutely would would be doing a disservice to yourself to not give these give these beautiful and gorgeous games a shot. So, especially if you own a PS2 or Wii or something, I, I actually would almost buy a PS2 just to play them. <laughs> I think all these games are pretty cheap. Yeah. Oh, hey, that's a good question. Let's take a look at our good friends at Half.com. Uh, it's been a while. Actually, I just bought Grim Grimoire because I bought a second copy to, since I left the one at Mom's house. Uh, I see. I love it so much. I can't stand being without it in my house. So <laughs> that's how you know it's good. Well, let's see here. Grim, Grim, Grim. Am I spelling this wrong? How do you spell Grimoire? G R I M G R I M O I R E. There it is. How come it just didn't pull up when I typed in G-R-A-M? Okay, that one's going for about 15 because to 20. Grim is such a common name. Yeah. Well, there was only eight search results. Uh, there. Is, anyways, that one's going for about 15 to $25. Uh, Odin Sphere is also in the same ballpark. I've got a few copies by some reputable sellers here uh, used for $15. We got some brand new shrink wraps for 25 plus shipping. Uh, which brings them up to about $28, so that's not bad at all. And Muramasa, your Demon Blade game, is actually going for the low, low price of about 18 It's on sale for $11 at Amazon.com. Woohoo! Right go get that free shipping! Wow, that's a pretty yeah, good price. Else, get something to take it up to $25 total, and then you get free shipping. Free Woo-hoo. shipping. There you go. Okay, so I think that wraps that up. I'm going to get something to drink. And then we'll be right back with Mike's Import Corner.
do you have for us tonight, Mr. Minky? I have a game that naturally belongs in any Vanillaware discussion. It was actually made before Vanillaware existed as a company, but George Kamatani, the guy who directed all the other games, was also the director for it. A lot of the same staff were for it. And even though it came out in 1997, you play it, and then you play Odin Sphere, and you're going to see some resemblances. There's no question about it that this game was made by the same people. Unfortunately, Princess Crown is not going to be obtained so easily as the other Vanillaware games we talked about. It came out on the Saturn and the PSP as a, I gather, lazy port that didn't bother to redo the screen at all in, in favor of the PSP's widescreen. So you're going to look at a stretched image. Hmm. And I'm not sure on PSP prices, but the Saturn version is going to cost you over 50 bucks. It's not a, It's not a common game, but it's worth it. This is the kind of game where you look at it and you you see awesome 2D stuff. It looked awesome in 1997, and I can tell you the PS1 would have choked on it. This is the kind of stuff that the Saturn was made to do. As for the gameplay style itself, this is a lot more like a one-on-one fighter than it is Odin Sphere's beat-em-up style. And you randomly encounter enemies with mostly Gradriel. Yes, Princess Gradriel. you got to love that English. And she will fight one-on-one, except with a couple of goblins that like to tag-team match, throw in one when one of them has been taken a beating. But it plays kind of like a fighter, except not so much, because there's a POW meter, again, kind of like Odin Sphere, that will drain as you block or hit things. Again, you you got to carefully ration your punches. And there's no voice acting in it, which is kind of a shame, because the story might have benefited for those of us who aren't fluent in Japanese by being accompanied by some voice acting. But this is a lot more of a one-character showcase than than Odin Sphere is. Gradriel is definitely the star. You're going to play a lot with her, and you, once you've beaten her main story, you do get to play as Porkus the Pirate, who manages pretty damn well, even though he's got a peg leg, Edward the Knight, and Proserpina the Flying Witch, who... You actually have to beat Gradriel with her after Gradriel beat the crap out of her earlier in the game. But those characters only take a few hours each. Gradriel's story is the main meat of the game, and she goes through a lot of stuff. She's a 13-year-old queen trying to learn about her kingdom, take over, deal with all the evil stuff that's happening in it. And unlike the other games Vanillaware would do, this is pretty straightforward. You kill things, you get experience from it, and you're going to need it because things do hit pretty hard and you will need to have your hit points replenished with each level. Eating things will gain you a few hit points, but there's no real cooking system except for a few things like, amazingly, you are not able to eat a newly plucked ear of corn. You have to go cook it first. I don't understand that. But um, the challenge is fairly high, I remember dragons and demons being really nasty opponents. Demons in particular appear midway through the game, and they look like they're kind of wearing the mask that was in Splatterhouse, and they're nasty. They will beat you to a crap, many, beat you to a pulp many times. And once you have beaten all of the main stories, Gradriel actually has a final boss with a dragon that was giving her advice throughout the game, which will, since I don't understand enough Japanese... I'm not sure why it suddenly decided to try and fight her and be killed by her, but it did, and it was a fairly nasty opponent, mostly because you had no option at that point to go back and get anything else. You had to fight it after the final boss of Gradriel's main story, which was a gigantic thing that had four hands 
hitting you from all sides of the screen at once. It wasn't pleasant. And there are a few other nasty encounters. The Basilisk is an, is an irritating foe because it can petrify you, and you'd better not let it for long or else it will kill you. And unlike Odin Sphere or Muramasa, if you die, you get a game over screen complete with a lovely fall down from the book world. Because the intro to this game is, like again, like Odin Sphere. You're a little girl picking up books on the floor of the various stories. But honestly, I think I enjoyed Princess Crown more than I enjoyed Odin Sphere. Maybe it's the focus on one character. Maybe it's the immense variety of the locations. Maybe it's the fairly basic inventory system. She has several sacks that she can use. And actually, it's kind of fun taking out a sword and throwing it at enemies multiple times before it disappears forever. And her magic abilities are also determined entirely by items. She has uh, sort of like the alchemy process, spells that are unleashed by using an item and then a rain of pain will fall upon the enemies or something like that. I enjoyed it immensely. I can accept that it has problems, but I'd say this is one of the most worthy imports you can ever find. And I don't know if it's necessarily worth the price because it is fairly expensive, but I enjoyed this game from beginning to end, and I would recommend it to anyone who has even the slightest shred of interest in importing at all. Hmm. And again, the graphics, even now, are pretty darn good. 2D sprite work the size of fighting games was not exactly common outside of fighting games in 1997 and it's still not exactly common so you can look at this and go ah that's what the saturn could do hmm. cool uh, saturn game for rp gamers out there that is very good at showing off what made the saturn great well, at least one of the main components that being its ability to handle 2d graphics really well yeah, Sega designed the machine to handle 2D, and it did that. Hmm. Fair enough. It could handle 3D if the right developers were along. The problem was that it wasn't exactly easy. Mm-hmm. Okay, any other uh, thoughts about it before we head on out, Mr. Minky? Nothing ready. Do, Nathan, Michael, do you have any questions about it? Um, I've heard that it's kind of based off of Arthurian myth and such. Does that come across at all? I can see it a little bit in the architecture not so much in the character designs, mostly because, well, you, you probably look at the character designs. They're so Japanese that any Arthur references are pretty buried. But in the architecture and in some of the things that she does, I can sort of see it. Uh, Michael? Um, how easy is it to play without knowing any Japanese or reading a translation or anything like that? I'd say pretty easy. I played it when I knew less Japanese than I do now, and I used a fact just because it was handy. But uh, enemy names are always displayed in English. Gradriel's name is displayed in English. That's how you know it's Gradriel and not Gladriel <laughs> or something else. The story is, of course, in Japanese, but actually playing the game, well, since it plays like a fighting game and you only need to use items, most of which are pretty obvious, if you play any imports, you should be able to recognize numbers and hit points, which usually indicate life restorant. So you shouldn't have any problems there, especially when you just get into action and start smacking things. Excellent. Cool. All righty. So you can get that for the low, low price of, you said about 50 bucks? Uh, let me check what a current price would be because um, I'm going off of memory and it's 
my memory is not necessarily the most accurate because prices change all the time. So give me a second here and let's let's see what that mystical provider of things that you can't get around you easily, eBay, says. Princess Crown. Oh, that's stupid. The the <laughs> automatic the automatic eBay picture is of something called Psy Slime Five for this game. So somebody made a mistake there. But I see buy it now is in the fifty-five, sixty-dollar range. So yeah, it's about that. Mm. And uh, the low price of a Sega Saturn these days. <laughs> uh, should, you should be able to get one for thirty, forty dollars. Oh, nice! Not bad. And Sega built them well enough that it should last for quite a while. I've been using the same Saturn for eight years now, I think. Yeah, same here. Mm. And the and the other one only broke because I, I foolishly put it on an airplane. Ooh. Oh, bad airplane. Yeah, in, in case you ever wondered whether you should try and put your consoles on an airplane and trust them to luggage handlers, don't. Well, have you seen have you seen that video of Delta, I think it's no, United breaks guitars. <laughs> okay, this is this is a total aside, I know, but I can't help myself. No, we'll save it for the final laugh. <laughs> we'll be right back after 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 this. <laughs> Breaks guitars. I believe I'm gonna go check it out right now on YouTube. But I believe you can just pull it up on YouTube just by looking for that. The story is very, very interesting. We, we use it in guest service talks all the time, as most people know. I work in a hotel, uh, so the the deal was that there was this um, there was this small time. He wasn't very famous or anything like that. Um, actually, you just put in the word United, it comes right up. Uh, a gentleman who is part of a, a small uh, guitar band and. He went on United, and he had an official guitar case in the whole nine yards, and he took it with him, and he checked it in. And when he was landing, I guess he looked outside the window. You know how you can see them taking out your luggage sometimes while you're waiting to get off the plane? And he saw them throwing his guitar and stuff. And so he – uh, uh, and so, of course, when he got his guitar, it was all broke. Uh, he complained to them about it, and they didn't want to pay for it or do anything else. Um and so he made a song called United Break Guitars, and he put it on YouTube. Got a bajillion, <laughs> got, 
<laughs> uh, he says Dave. It's his name's Dave Carroll, an inspiring keynote. Spe- he's now a keynote speaker for crying out loud. Uh, <laughs> when United Airlines baggage handlers tossed his uh, beloved Taylor guitar and refused to accept responsibility, Dave responded with the song "United Breaks Guitars." It, it, it got over 10 million views on YouTube. So believe it or not, United suddenly had a change of heart and decided to give him a refund for his broken guitar or whatnot. But by that time, the, the damage is already done. And this guy became an overnight internet sensation. And apparently now he's a keynote speaker, <laughs> bigbreaksolutions.com. Uh, apparently he'll come and and tell you, I, I don't talk about social media and how United breaks. We, we use it in guest service to show what happens when you kind of ignore people and you break their things. But yeah. <laughs> It's really funny. Go United Breaks Guitars. Listen to him sing about it. It's hilarious. It's it's great. Of course, now you won't hear from any of the other podcasters on this show because now they're all rushing to watch it. <laughs> no, Phil, we understand the value of patience. We are capable of waiting just a little while. I'm glad you are, Mike. We, we are? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> See, by using we and not I, I force everyone to conform to my beliefs. I'm smart that way. <laughs> Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, speaking of being smart and whatnot, Mr. Mickey, do we have any smart comments on our boards this week? Aha. Hmm, we did have a few smart comments. Now I have to go and remind myself what they were. Of course, they might have been some dumb comments in there as well. But we don't talk about those because we want to keep the show positive. <laughs> well, well, Ray had, thought, had wondered to himself, man, has it really been six years since Radiata Stories? Why, yes, it has, given that we did that backtrack on the sixth anniversary of its release. And Kisaki Project after actually took great interest in my Tengai Makyo 3 discussion, but most people probably don't care to go into that right now. Strawberry Eggs brought up some points about the Final Fantasy Tactics discussion, which apparently Phil and Nathan are heavily opinionated about. <laughs> But we won't go there because I promised Nathan a nice, positive podcast. <laughs> yeah, don't want to spend it arguing about something we argued about at length. No, we're going to come up with something wait, wait. completely new at the end of the show. Wait for it, though. I'll give you a clue. The, Meow. Okay. What that's, was the <laughs> argument that I missed out on? <laughs> Nothing. No, keep going, Mike. We were talking about last week's show. No. <laughs> Zakharov said that he's not a huge fan of the audio editing, said that it sort of feels like he has to catch up to what's being discussed and he needs to listen full time. Full time. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, and I'm going to try, you know, there's different algorithms, you know, there's different sliders on those algorithms. I, I personally, I mean, I listen to a, a ton of podcasting and it's not unusual for me to, uh, for me personally, anyways, and I'm not saying I'm typical, but it's not unusual for me to speed it up to 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 times uh, because, uh, and they don't sound like chipmunks uh, with Windows Media Player. Uh, it actually sounds quite normal. It just sounds like that they're talking. There's a difference between somebody who's like, let's say, talking for a news broadcast where he's got the script in front of him and he's talking a little bit faster without pauses or like when Obama's reading a teleprompter, for example, than us doing a podcast where we're kind of coming off of things on top of our heads. We're kind of hemming and hawing and there's these moments of awkward silences. So I, I use that filter uh, on last show and it did kind of sound I listened to it all the way through uh, overall I I personally liked uh, I thought I felt it was an improvement but it doesn't mean that I didn't felt like it was optimal uh, we're going to try I'll try 
putting some of the sliders a little bit higher, which should allow, uh, which should make it to where when we do pause, there's not as much of a pause as when we pausing, but not just running straight through it either. So we'll keep playing with it and keep leaving your comments. And uh, in between what y'all say and what I think and what Mr. Minky says, uh, we'll we'll get that to a point uh, where it's a, a little bit smoother. Um, conversely, <laughs> every once in a while somebody complains about how long the podcast was. It actually took a two-hour and I think it was like two hours and 30-minute podcast. And just by removing the uh, the pauses in between some of our talking, it took it down to almost two hours. <laughs> so, yeah, it was probably just a teeny extreme. Perhaps. Were there any other comments? Let's see. Just Doug said that he always hopes the next backtrack is of a game that he's played because he always enjoys those. And though it took him a bit to get around to listening, he was happy to see this one about Radiata Stories. said it was certainly an endearing game, one that he often forgets about when searching for examples of things among the RPG library. That Jack was fun as a main character, but Gans was definitely his favorite of the cast. That he, too, never played the non-human side of Radiata Stories. Also that... We forgot to mention the uh, armor which equips Jack in a business suit, which is definitely atypical, but you don't want to use it in combat because the business suit takes your defense down. Well, it gives you a defense boost of one when everything else gives you a defense boost of uh, more than one. (laughs) So even, even though you might like running around with Jack in a business suit fighting enemies, apparently business suits offer crummy protection. What? And then Ocelot, of all people, said that she took the non-human route, which makes me wonder if she has any comments about the game right now, since she wasn't here for the last episode. Um, We enjoyed what we played of it. We didn't actually finish it up. My husband and I played it together, kind of took turns. Um, We got to a point where there was an optional, uh, well, there was a boss fight that you could optionally win, and we didn't win it, but the boss was such a jerk that we really wanted to be able to win it, but that required a lot of grinding, and then we didn't finish the grinding. And, yeah. <laughs> I can think of a couple play, point people that might have been. But, um, yeah, no, it was fun. And I, I actually I liked the non-human side quite a bit. There were a lot of good colorful characters in it. Yeah, I like whatever his name, the goblin who just sits around and stares into space all day. That's his character <laughs> description. And you get him to join you by kicking him five times until he finally says, you... Kick me five times. Me mad. He fights you, you beat him, and he finally joins you. I remember him. He's funny. Hmm. Hmm. Is that all the comments? Yeah. Coolie, coolie. Uh, remember, you can leave your comments at board.rpgamer.com. Help shape our future shows. Tell us what you think. Leave comments. We love them. We eat them up, and then we read them on the show. Maybe read them on the show, then we eat them up. Hmm. Um, so... Get your order straight there. Get her, yeah. So, part of our final lap, we like to give each one of y'all a chance, uh, each one of our participants here a chance to say, hey, what are you doing this week? Anything you want to plug? Things you're doing on the website, things you're doing personally, want to talk about any games you're playing uh, recently that you want to share with the world? Let's start with Mr. Nathan. Well, I guess the only thing I want to plug is that pretty soon I'll be, probably within the next month, I'll be probably doing my first review for RP Gamer, which I'm... Ooh. That's exciting. Yes, I hope I'll learn about it better than the last time I was going to do my first review, where I just kind of gave up on doing it because I didn't want to. <laughs> this time I actually have more expectations for me to do it, so that helps. There What's the go. review going to be of? Uh, White Knight Chronicles 2. <gasps> oh, I wow. I, I'm ex- no, I'm excited about that because I've got another friend who's playing it. It's that same uh, friend that I mentioned earlier, and I love to hear other opinions as well. 
Yeah, we've already got one review for it, but well, we might as well get a review for the North American release rather than just the European release. Mm, I'm looking forward to that. Do you want to give us a little preview? No, not really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am supporting your hopes and dreams. Fine, I'll move on to Becky. Becky must have some good news for me. Um, I think we all know what game I'm playing right now since I've mentioned it several times. Um, I'm reviewing that for another site. Shh, don't tell. Um <sighs> <laughs> but uh, for RP Gamer, I'm actually I'm going to try to um, over the next few months do a few sort of mini features on Guild Wars 2 because uh, it's a really cool looking upcoming game, and I'm going to um, as soon as I get the time this week, hopefully, um, do a mini feature on the races of Guild Wars 2 because they've all been announced and sort of profiled on their site. So I'll just write up a little thing about that. So if people haven't been following it closely, they'll get sort of an overview of it. So that's what I'm doing for RP Gamer. Mm, cool. Uh, okay, Mr. Apps, go. I've actually been playing White Knight Chronicles too. Oh, right. You'll tell us about it, won't you? Yes. Yeah, what did you think so it, far? It's actually growing on me. Oh, is it really? Yes, I really hated the first one, but uh, I guess they improved it just enough that I'm actually having some fun with it. Cool. Not that it's the best thing ever, but it has a really good soundtrack. I've heard it's, that. Uh, I've heard that. How's um, it's kind of uh, from what I understand, from what's been explained to me, it's kind of a uh, like an MMO, right? Pretty much. Not really. Oh, <laughs> oh here we go. Oh. <laughs> uh, the thing is, it's. I guess the thing is, I played through the entire White Knight Chronicles one without really doing anything online, so it's not really an MMO. It definitely takes a couple of cues from MMOs, but since the yeah, online that, thing is secondary. Yeah. That's really. what I meant. Is it kind of takes cues from MMOs. Well, I mean, maybe you can provide some clarification. I mean, again, I'm kind of going off of sources here. So, from what I understand, the single there is definitely the single player aspect, but uh, that the multiplayer online aspect uh, for most seems to be more compelling. But you have to do the single player in order to participate fully in the multiplayer. I don't know. I have no interest in the multiplayer. Really? Yeah, I've never really been interested in multiplayer much myself either. I never did in the first. Probably tried for the second, but never did for the first. So as a single-player single, single player game, uh, Mr. Epps, so far you're finding it compelling? Um, I would say interesting. I don't know if I'd go so far as to use the word compelling. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I look it, f- Go ahead. It, it feels like it's... Um, you know, it feels like it's a big world, and combat plays out a lot like you might see in some MMOs. Um, like, I might use kind of a World of Warcraft comparison. Not really, but just kind of has that same feel to it. Hmm. Kind of like a Final Fantasy twelve. Yes, but not as good as Final Fantasy twelve. <laughs> I actually enjoy... <laughs> I will never say something's not as good as Final Fantasy twelve. I'd actually like Final Fantasy Chronicles 1 more than Final Fantasy 12. That's a totally different discussion. All right. Nathan Ooh. versus Apps. Fight! Oh. <laughs> oh, but I'm going to have to come by on and come in on Apps' side, even though I haven't played White Knight Chronicles 2, because darn it, I like Final Fantasy 12. But we've been over the Sunstaff channel. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah, the, the combat in 12 is a lot more compelling, because you can actually switch between your party members and get a whole strategy going, whereas... I don't know what the heck the rest of my party is doing in White Knight Chronicles. Okay, apparently I need to play 12 so that I can put it on the schedule, and then we can have a full-blown discussion about it, because it sounds like it's just full of material. Fight, <laughs> yeah, I fight, be- fight! 
I have to have my stuff in clear <laughs> for <Elfie> 12. <laughs> oh, so in other words, Mr. Epps, you said you don't know what the other party members are doing. In other words, it is like an MMO. Because <laughs> every time yeah, I'm running through a yeah, dungeon in Warcraft, I'm like, point. what the hell are you guys doing over there? <laughs> Except probably your friends in White Knight Chronicles 2 are not AFK changing a baby's diaper or anything. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least the guy changing the baby's diaper has an excuse for okay. I'm, I'm just I'm digressing here. All right, well I, I look forward to uh, reading uh, Nathan's review and hearing more thoughts from Mr. Apps on that uh, as he gets it done. Are, will you be doing a review as well, Mr. Apps? No, I'm not going to finish it in any sort of timely fashion. Maybe 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 you can do what I did with Carolyn and write like an unofficial review and just put it on the board. It's kind of where I stick my thoughts for a game that I played through, but it, for whatever reason. But he just did an official review for something else. Oh, I yeah. Did. Maybe we can talk about that. Yeah, for a let's talk about that. Go. Disgaea 4. <gasps> yeah. I, I, I just, I just ordered that game, so tell me it's good. I loved it. Woohoo! I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. <gasps> in- Great. I thought it was the best game in the series. So, oh, the best. Now, I, as you know, I'm sure, because oh. I know you memorize every game I reviewed. Uh, I played through Disgaea 1. I reviewed uh, Disgaea 2 PSP for RP Gamer. Uh, I played through 3. So you're telling me 4 is better than those? I 3 was the first one I really played through, and I loved that. And this was better. Wow. Awesome. Oh, I'm stoked now. It's coming in the mail. should be here tomorrow. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, I, I have seen some comments about people kind of taking a different approach to playing this game that didn't like it as much. But if if you're going into it and just kind of playing through the story mode and not kind of going OCD with absolutely everything that these games have, that's probably where you'll get the most enjoyment out of it. Wait, wait. Let me, let me, let me disseminate what you just said. You're saying that yes. if you go through the story without doing anything on the side, what happens? Uh, I don't not necessarily not doing anything on the side, but I've heard of people, you know, who Disgaea veterans, uh-huh. um, kind of over over leveling and just kind of going destroying the game essentially, which is what they're built to do. Okay. <laughs> I, no, no, uh, but I, this game certainly has the most tools. Oh, to, this, to, to, break. to do to do <laughs> so. <laughs> Now, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, in all honesty, I actually have never taken the time to really break any of the games. Occasionally, I'll come across a map where, uh, where if you use the geo panels or whatever mechanics are at your disposal, it's really easy to level on those. So I'll use those to get like a, you know, a dozen levels real fast or something along those lines. But I've never been one of those. Uh, one of those Disgaea players that unlock the secret dungeons or the secret endings. I usually am just in it to get through the main story because the main charm for me has always been the the characters and the story. I, I do uh, enjoy the battles to a degree, but not enough to where I want to play them for 350 hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> with that being uh, with that being said, um, uh, I also recognize the fact that you can't get through a Disgaea game storyline. In the Disgaea's that I played, usually you get through. <sighs> About the first ten chapters, maybe uh, you might have to slow down here and there to grind, but um, or to you know to take advantage of some things. But as long as you're kind of smart of how you're playing and you don't spread out between too many characters, I was able to get through most of the chapters. But then at the end, you definitely have to go back and grind up some items and item world and get some experience levels underneath your belt. It, how is how does how does this one is for those people who don't get into all the grinding mechanics? Um, I didn't really have to do any sort of major grinding until the last chapter, and mm-hmm. even after doing 
was great about the last chapter is even after doing grinding, you know, I wasn't just cakewalking through it or anything. I still had to figure out some pretty intense strategies. Like, uh, there's one battle I always like to tell the story of is, um, it's basically this battle where there's these really powerful archers across from you, and there's this giant cliff top with some enemies that throw down status, status effects on on the top. So the the archers won't move unless you get close to them. So what I basically did in this battle was built a stairway of blocks, because there's a bunch of blocks on this map, up there, killed all the wizards up there, and then used the ability of one of my characters to make explosive barrels over and over again, tossing it down on the archers until I won. Oh, jeez. That and sounds like a typical Descaya fight. Yeah, it, 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 it was a really long battle because also up, up on that clifftop was a spot that spawned enemies every turn. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so the, the last chapter is really challenging, but it's not necessarily... I wouldn't say it's unfair. It just requires a bit more strategic thought than some of the earlier chapters. And, and that's uh, certainly in keeping with uh, Disgaea's MO. Um, Absolutely. And, and, in a, and for the uninitiated, um, I remember my first time playing Disgaea 1, it was um, it was a bit disheartening because you kind of cruising through the game, you're really enjoying the story, and then you kind of hit that last chapter. And you realize that those other mechanics they were telling you about, whether it was the Senate or going to Item World, powering up some stuff, uh, you know, getting your levels up, unlocking maybe a couple of the cooler character classes, which, you know, looked optional. <laughs> maybe they're not all <laughs> optional. Maybe you need to engage in a few or at least uh, grind yourself up uh, some levels the old-fashioned way. Um, you know, so that can be, you know, you can kind of hit a brick wall if you're just kind of used to going through board after board after board. Um well- one one thing that's cool about this game is it includes a a map editor. It's not the best map editor, but you can pretty much make your own custom grinding map mm. to some extent. And I actually use that to finish this game in a timely fashion. Oh, interesting! Went at it. Make your own grinding map. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, that would that would be something I would do. Make something yeah. up with a destruct. You know, remember the oh the invulnerable geo panels. Make your character invulnerable, and then uh, pile enemies on top of each other to whether a high level, and then you beat a really high level with your invulnerable character. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. That's what I'm all about. All right, cool. Yeah. So uh, there's just a lot of different ways you can play this game, and what's cool about it is if you do happen to dive into all the side stuff and make some crazy powerful characters there is the option in there one of the senate things is to actually increase the power of the enemies so you can actually increase the challenge of the game to match whatever you've leveled your characters to so um it it's it's def i i think this is about as good as this guy is going to get without doing a lot of changes but i think this is certainly the the most polished i've seen the series Interesting. All right, cool beans. We'll check out Mr. App's review at rpgamer.com and look for Mr. Nathan's upcoming review of White Knight Chronicles 2 coming to an RP. More pressure for him to get it done uh, since we're pimping it now to our audience of millions. 
<laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I try. Uh, me personally, I've been I've been sinking um, my time uh, lately into Muramasa, so I can play. I can I can talk about it intelligently on the show, which is not something I always do. But since I already played the other two Vanillaware games, I wanted to complete uh, my experience, and I am enjoying that. I will probably stick with it uh, and get through it because it is definitely a game that I like to go back to over and over again, an hour here, an hour there, and just beat the mess out of a bunch of frog ninjas or whatever. Um, I recommend you try Princess Crown sometime just to see what it's like because it really is a vanillaware game in everything but name, and it's a grand fun time. Mm, cool. And I'm not prepared to talk about this game thoroughly yet, but uh, for the end of the show, a little highlight type of thing, uh, preview type of speech. Uh, I'm playing Avadon, the Black Fortress. Uh, it is a Spiderweb software title. I've played them in the past. Uh, Spiderweb games are very much traditional PC Western RPG deals that would have been right at home on the PC back in 92. Um, but including how the graphics look, which make them really hard to swallow for a lot of players, including myself. And I'm not even really consider myself a graphic whore, but uh, I'm a graphic whore and I can't play them. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a graphic whore and I can't play them. Uh, Abaddon, the Black Fortress, uh, the well, uh, Spyro Software is an indie development shop, so they don't really have a whole lot of resources, but they have been getting uh, a little bit better as time goes on. Abaddon, the Black Fortress is their best effort yet. Uh, the graphics are now probably closer to 2000. I <laughs> I was going to say 15 years ago. Yeah, it's kind of catching up. Well, it's higher. It's high. It's high. Re- I mean, they, they're definitely higher resolution than, let's say, Baldur's Gate. And that was, what, 97, 98? Uh, there's more detail, but the, it does lack maybe some of the artistic flair of the Baldur's Gate titles. Um, the, uh, there's a deep, there's a lot of text. There's a lot of story. Uh, I'm only in the beginning chapter. Uh, but already uh, I find myself uh, becoming very curious about uh, how this world is set up and how they all how how the ruler came to be and what is the nature of this uh, pact that these countries have and what is my role as basically this ruler's enforcer and the game makes it very clear uh, that you will be making decisions as an enforcer for this ruler you have a certain respect among people mostly embedded in fear but uh, you will have the decision you will make decisions that will uh, either keep you working as one of his strong hands, so to speak, or you can uh, make decisions if you wish to usurp his authority and give that a whirl if you think you can do better. So um, it plays very much like an old Ultima or, Go- or Gold Box a D&D game. The combat is turn-based. Uh, it's much easier to get into than a Gold Box game because it isn't using D&D's very complex rule system. It's using a very simplified turn-based system. Your characters will level up. You allocate skill points and talents, very much like a talent tree from Diablo. Uh, and everything's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, just like all, one of the older Ultima games, you'll find lots and lots of items that you can pick up, sell, loot, use. Uh, there's just stuff all over the world. And there's lots of NPCs to talk to, some of which will ask you for your help uh, or give you information or or sell you things. So I, I don't have a full review on it. I mean, I'll, I'll probably do it. If I get through the whole thing, I will definitely do a PC pit stop on it or something along those lines. Because Mostly because even though it's not an older game, it is clearly a throwback to the older PC RPG games. 
So, uh, and that is on the I'm playing it. On, I'm playing the iPad version, so that's even more fun. You're just kind of pointing with your finger all over the screen where nice. you want them to go. <laughs> you don't have the mouse. You're just pointing here, point there, point there. And, and the interface is actually pretty decent. It isn't a perfect ten. Nothing's more fun in a turn-based game where you press. Uh, you're you're trying to press on a guy to attack him, and instead your mage thinks that you want to move next to him physically. So your mage just suddenly shoots to the front of the battle. Yeah, that's a little irritating. So you have to be careful where you, especially with little fat fingers like mine. Anywho, all righty. Well, I guess it's time to get that legal disclaimer out of the way then, if uh, everyone has said their piece, so to speak, right? Any other thoughts? No? Uh, I'm going to have a review of Salat. Oh, Mr. Miki, what did you have for the audience? I'm sorry. Well, considering that while you were talking, I was playing Hunt the Gnat and Kill It, uh, we probably can fit that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your recent experience with this game called Kill the Nat. Would you like to describe the gameplay to our audience? Certainly. It's actually a very bad interface because the Nat likes to appear in, <laughs> in lighted places that aren't necessarily easy for you to gauge the depth of. But you're, you can only use your hands. If you try to use a fly swatter, then you will be flummoxed because the gnat refuses to land. So you're going to have to try and crush it between your hands, but you've got to be quick because that gnat, it's got an unpredictable flight pattern. And I'm serious. There is no programming here. This thing is completely unpredictable. How's the interface for the game? Depends. It's really individualized. If you have arthritis, this is not going to be a game you will enjoy at all. I don't, so it wasn't particularly difficult. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to talk about tonight, Mr. Minky? Anything uh, you're reviewing? Anything you want to throw well, out I'll there? I'll have a review of Salada Robo out in a week because it has to be timed for the release date. And I can tell you, if you want a pretty darn fun action RPG on the DS, this is a good one. XC made a good choice bringing this over. What's it called? Salada Robo, Red the Hunter, huh. which takes place in an interesting world of nothing but islands that float in the sky. People, anthropomorphized dogs and cats, fly between them, and they all speak. They all have written English phrases thanks to Xseed, but they speak in French, which <laughs> I don't really understand. Especially since it's Japanese actors doing French, which means that you're going to have to really puzzle at what they're saying some of the time. But it definitely gives it a unique feel. I cannot think of any other anthropomorphized worlds floating in the sky where people speak French. <laughs> that sounds kind of awesome. It's, well, I'm uh... sure there's got to be at least one of those in Quebec. Not <laughs> <laughs> in France itself. <laughs> well, I'm Canadian, so I have to make a Quebec joke. I know. But then again, the, the settlers for Quebec did come from France. Um, yeah, Red does not fight directly. He doesn't punch things. Instead, he grabs them with his, with his little robot, which is kind of like the thing that Sigourney Weaver used to fight the alien queen at the end of Alien. So it's not like a super robot Tyson-style robot. It's more of a, a lifting device. But it's a good robot. He grabs things. He throws them around. He slams them into each other. And with bosses, he usually picks up their projectiles and throws them back. It's fun. It's easy to pick up and play. I will say that the couple of areas in the game where you have to fly are the real down point. Unfortunately, you don't have to spend too much time in them because, oh my, the camera just decides it hates your guts and will not reorient itself whenever you land when you're flying. So good luck with that. But having gotten that little bit of vitriol out of the way, the balance of the game is quite good. And especially once you get into the second half, because this plays an odd game where it plays the credits for you and then you save and, oh, I can start part two now. 
And part two has a much more interesting story than part one, which is pretty much, hi, I'm an evil guy. I'm trying to get the ancient unlocked power for my own good. And wow, look, the ancient unlocked power might not be everything I thought it was going to be. Oh, my. Part two is much more interesting than that. That sounds like every Japanese RPG story ever. Why, it's almost as if I was describing it in a slightly dismissive and denigrative way, but no, I'm above that. So Again, look, the second half gets much more interesting. Look out for Mr. Mickey's 1.5 review coming soon. Isn't that what you gave from the Abyss? Oh, my God. I can't believe they keep re-releasing it. What the <laughs> hell is up with that? My mom, I'm enjoying, you know what? I'm trying to root for Nintendo here. I, I know that the 3DS has not been the launch that they expected it to be, and they really need their fans to keep rooting for them right now and buying their software because their stock prices are plummeting, right? But then when I open up my DS and I go to the Nintendo shop to see what's new today, I'm expecting any day now to get like Super Mario 3 or or one of the Contra games or one of the really cool Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games, something. No, what do I get? From the Abyss Chapter One, as if, as if, <laughs> as if the game, the game is so bad. But to split up into chapters and charge people separately for each tiny little chapter is criminal. But I digress, Miss Becky. Did, did I give yes. you a chance to say good? I don't think we gave you a chance to say goodbye. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say goodbye? Okay. No, I'm done. Okay, you're done. All right. Nighttime. <laughs> you have a good night, Miss Becky. And our audience will have a good night after I read this. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com to help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, you are the reason we do this. So do us a favor, rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening, RPG Backtrack. Mr. Minky, before I screw up our name anymore, please put us to bed. RPGs can look good, and Vanillaware seems intent on making sure that seeing them in two dimensions does not become a dead art. The games would be pretty solid even if they didn't look awesome, but they're worthy experiences. Whether sticking around to the end is advised depends on your attitude for a sizable challenge, but checking them out can't hurt. 